Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to the Star Trek edition of, uh, what's this called, Brother Date? That's our show. Brother Date. Uh, I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Uh, so we we actually just recorded the first segment of this. We recorded it, and then we blew it. So um, we're going we're gonna to do the episodes out of order. We're going to jump into them pretty quick, but is there anything you want to say about the, uh, the show before we, before we jump in? Uh, it's not a good show, and you have no reason to expect any better. All right. That seems fair. Uh, so this is episode uh, eight? This is week eight. Week eight of Star Trek Project. And Matthew, this week we watched The Battle. The Enterprise is called to a meeting with a Ferengi ship where Damon Bach presents Picard with an unusual gift. His old ship, the Stargazer. But Picard is also getting headaches and hallucinations and eventually takes command of his old ship to attack the Enterprise. Can they defeat his famous maneuver with their enormous and technologically superior ship? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like yeah, they... it should be that difficult. Yeah, they can. <laughs> yeah, uh, so again, we're doing them a little out of order because we already, we already blew our, our segment on TOS. So we'll, we'll, hit, the, we'll hit that at the end. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, I feel like this one had a pretty obvious take. I mean, this is one of the ones where Picard says the take, so... Well, you go I first, mean, we then. can We can say it together if you want, but it's there is no profit in revenge. I had that almost exactly the, the same thing. I, yeah, well, that's almost exactly what he says. I have revenge as an unprofitable venture. <clears throat> um, yeah, anyway, um, that's fine. That's something. At the time I watched this, I rated it a six. I actually feel like that's a little high. Uh-huh. But it... I, again, it gets extra points for not having to dig. Uh, yes. Like, you, for having a take. You know my policy is to give extra points for having a fucking take. High marks in having a take for having a take. Well, that's... We are not setting this bar. Like, if we... If ten weeks from now we're in a thing where every episode has a take, it won't be that way anymore. Yeah. But that ain't... That ain't where we are. That's right. <laughs> we're mostly digging. Uh, I gave it an eight. I gave yeah, it an so, eight because look, one, it's a take. Two, I think it makes sense. It does, and it's a Star Trek take. Yes, and we do still sort of live in a society that glorifies revenge. That's right. Like, I've been watching a lot of Game of Thrones lately, and that's right. like nine tenths of all the motivations of all the characters. Uh, Kill Bill was real big. Yep, that's <clears> a pure <throat> revenge fantasy. Absolutely. So you know, it's worth saying. Okay. All right. So I gave it an eight. And for me, it was a six. Um, interestingly, uh, Ben, who also gave it a six, his his read on the take was, in spite of the vastness of space, personal history and individual interactions are still very personal. Okay. 
That's but true. I mean, dog, they said what the episode was about. <laughs> if, if, I mean, if, they said it. He felt like it was he, too He probably obvious. turned it off two minutes before the end. That's right. That's true. Picard does say it near the end. <laughs> if you've already gotten your take. Maybe he heard it, but just didn't want to rework it like me. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm not reworking the whole thing. <clears throat> I will say that's two weeks in a row of TNG having a pretty clear, a pretty clear take. Because last like week was just Justice. Yeah. Where it's like straight up the episode episode. Where title. he just says there could be no justice so long as laws are absolute. Yes. And it's like, okay, well, so you're I, saying it, so that's good. And I think that's what we had in mind going into the project, was there was going to be a lot of that, because it's That's sci-fi. how I thought all Star Trek was, and I particularly thought that about the original series. Yeah. And that has not been the case. It was very disappointing to find that many of the first TOS episodes were just adventures in space. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <clears throat> um, with that said, this is an anti-revenge story. How did they do? Um, here's what I got. You don't get a lot from Damon Bach's point of view. Just kind of like the final scene where he confesses his whole plan to Picard. So it's really hard to weigh his motivations and aspirations with the acts and the risks that he takes in the episode. <clears throat> and... Although the tide does turn on Bach, it's unclear how much he's actually going to suffer for everything that happens. They talk about how he's been removed from command, but um, like what happens to him after that? So it kind of takes some sting out of the take. It feels like his punishment is either unknown or not that much. So, it, Although it doesn't end well for him, and his own crew sees him for what he's become, and, and they turn on him, and it's nice and tidy in that way. It just, I don't know... I don't know how how much it turned on him. I gave it a six. Um, So I also had it as a six. And uh, so Bach's plan is very dumb. Right. It requires everyone to be stupid all the time. Yeah. And it still nearly works. Lucky for him, yes. (laughs) Um, And I, I think for the first time watching it this time, I realized he doesn't expect Picard to blow up the Enterprise. He just expects him to die. Yeah. Like, his whole plan is just for Picard to die in battle. On the bridge uh, of the Stargate. And he probably doesn't care that he's relieved of command after this, either. Right. That's, yes. Agreed. Like, he's executed his whole plan. Yes. If the it part had happened where Picard work. died, then it would have been yeah. perfect for him. Um, But, I mean, no, they really, like... You're right that the stakes are not dramatic for him. Yeah. That it really is... That this has just not been a profitable venture. That's right. It's not even it's not... necessarily that detrimental to him. Exactly. It's just it's just not profitable. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't know. So agree again. Six and a six. Agreed. So we're 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 on track so far for this episode together. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Benny gave it a six and a six also so far. Okay. Yeah, it's tidy. It's not great. It's just yeah. That's it, exactly what it is. It's right. it's 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 basically tidy. It's a neat and tidy story. Yeah. Uh, world building. I thought they did a little less of this, okay. but there is some. So, apparently, at this point in space, the Enterprise is a full day's subspace message from Earth. Yeah. Yeah. And they, so that and without spoiling it much we'll see in future episodes this some of this still exists later on where they have some weird <clears throat> subspace delays yes so 
I don't know, this might be the first time that we see the idea that subspace is not instantaneous. That could be. Um, the, uh, the Constellation class can do Warp 9. That's good to know. I mean, yeah. it's got all those nacelles. I would hope it'd be pretty quick. Uh, he only lost the ship <laughs> nine years ago, right? Yeah. Um, so the Thought Makers... Yes. ...are clearly illegal in a way that even the Ferengi are uncomfortable with. Yeah, they're a messed up device. That must be... So they're very illegal, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, you're right. Even if the, if the Ferengi are respecting that law, then yeah, it's a fucked up device. <laughs> um, Dr. Crusher can give Picard medical orders. I don't know if that's been established anywhere else so far. I had that too with that same question as a caveat. Um, no more headaches, no more common cold. That, yep, absolutely. So that's about what I had for world building. There's some stuff there. All told, it's like a four. <clears throat> okay. I had... There could have been, been a lot more. I, had I would have s- liked to have known anything at all about the sh- the other ship in the Battle of Maxia. It's true, and that's what I'm saying. Like, if they'd given you more of what, Kaz- not Kazago, what Bach was thinking, and what his backstory was and all that, I think it would have been a more effective episode on a lot of levels. Yeah. <clears throat> they could have cut out a couple of the Picard's headaches scenes. He could have started having them later. Like, there were, they could have made room for more of Bach, but maybe they were afraid to spend so much time on a one-episode character. Yeah, well, spoiler alert, he comes back. Spoiler alert, everybody. Um, so, yeah, I had the CMOs giving orders to ship ca- ship's captains thing. Again, with the same question, is that new, or have we already talked about that? I don't remember. Um, and again, I hate to use spoilers. It shouldn't affect what happens in this episode. But don't Betazoids have trouble reading Ferengi in later episodes? I I really... I really feel like that doesn't come into play until pretty late and okay. that someone fucks it up because. So I didn't have an well, effect. I guess the score all that this. she knows, all that we know in last outpost is that he's <laughs> distorting his appearance somehow. Like she knows he's hiding something. She doesn't have a real clear read on what. Right. But in this one, and this is in, um, this is in my characterization more than this. Mm. She can tell that Picard is reliving the Battle of Maxia. It's very specific. So, now, granted, <laughs> that's her reading Picard and not her reading Bach. Yeah. But still, her powers fluctuate wildly early on. Yeah. It's just that she's easily able to read his emotions and intentions. And I yeah. just thought, I think in, like, by season three, they're like, Loxana can't read them. Or something. Yes. And it's like, uh... But anyway, it's not affecting the score on this because it hasn't happened yet. But then in season three, I'm going to be pretty mad about it. Because Troy's just like... that's a slip up. Yeah, Troy's all over this guy. Uh, No more headaches or common colds. Um, The Ferengi dress kind of stripped down for people who luxuriate in everything. You know, they wear a lot of furs. Yeah, it's like a fur pelt. But maybe that's from an expensive animal? That's what I assume. Wearing fur is still pretty chic here. I just, I thought, you know, again, um, I've been watching a lot of Game of Thrones lately, and they aren't much more dressed up than the Starks of Winterfell, for example. Mm. Everybody. Do we know if Ferenginar is cold? The women are naked all the time. Can't be that cold. Well, again, in future times, we will learn that it is a very rainy planet, but I don't know about Mm. temperatures. Probably pretty tropical would be my guess. Um, I feel super bad that I said Ferenginar. (laughs) That's right. We don't know what it's called yet. Um, Yeah, I feel bad that I know it. 
uh, the Picard maneuver. That's world building, right? That's a thing that exists. Should I mean, if it came up even one more time, I know that's future knowledge. Does it not? I wonder. I don't know. I guess it I don't might know. Not. There's a bunch of DS9 war shit. Maybe it comes up somewhere in there. Um, but anyway, I was just always thinking about the Picard maneuver. Just shoot at the new one. It's just yeah. It's, it's just it's just the easiest thing in the world. Shoot to at defeat. the shoot at the new one because it's, it's probably the new one. Um, you so you get a decent amount of Picard backstory in this, as much as that fits into world building. He will talk about Stargazer stuff a few more times, but again, we don't really know that. But you know, there's a little bit of Picard backstory you learn in this. Um, you learn a little bit about Kazago and how Ferengi crew view their mission and their captains and the structure over there. Agreed. There is definitely some of that. Um, we always learn a lot about the Frankie. When there's a Frankie episode, we learn. We learn I, by the end of this episode, we already know about as much about how the Frankie society works as we do about like any other alien. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably even the Klingons at this point, because we do a lot of Klingon world building later on in TNG. Not a lot, according to Michael Dorn. <laughs> it's not enough to satisfy him. <laughs> That's right. He thinks we don't know enough about Worf. <laughs> We've met both of his parents, and his foster brother, and his real brother, and his son, and his son is an adult time traveler. That's right. But not enough. We just haven't really explored the space yet. We know about his religious beliefs, which we don't know about anyone else in the whole series. Yep. We know... Oh, we know literally everything there will ever be to know about Worf. We've We've met his god and seen his devil. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, we've met all of his mates. I mean, it's like... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Michael Dorn, you... I, just, if you want a new show about Worf, just say you want a new show about Worf. Don't just, just make up a lie. I thought Worf was a, was a pretty cool character, and yeah. I want to keep doing it. Don't just That's lie fine. and be like, oh, don't, we don't know don't anything make some about shit Worf. up. Like, there's a bunch of undiscovered Worf out there. Ugh, yeah. We know in 20 parallel universes how he does in a Batleth <laughs> tournament. Oh my god, it's true. Yeah, you really could not know more about Worf. I just... I'm trying to think of any character in any show that we know more about. I mean, he has been thoroughly explored. Anyway. We know um, his views on euthanasia. I mean, we know everything about him. That's <laughs> true. Every, like, political question. We know his stance. We know his parenting style. We just know everything. Yeah. Um, I gave it a six in world building. I felt like there was enough there to give it a decent score. Yeah, I didn't really factor in the fer- the Ferengi knowledge, but I don't think I, I don't need to bump my score up. That's fine. Uh, but yeah. <clears throat> Um, characterization was my lowest score for this episode. Me as well. I don't think it's we like, did much here. Beverly is a meddler. Yeah, what else? Is we knew that. Yeah. This is another yet another time that Picard acts strange or like he's under an alien's control. <laughs> happens so yeah, often. Yeah, and it makes it really hard to judge his character, because he's not It happens himself. to him as much as it happens to fucking Data. Ugh, yeah. Certainly early on, Jesus. This just happened yeah, I mean, not that long ago. By the time you get to Fistful of Data and Masks... But but you know what I mean. Right, yeah. Oh, Picard gets into it in masks, too. <laughs> well, uh, he puts on the mask, certainly. I did not love smug Wesley mendonning around. Yeah, nobody likes smug Wesley. And I think like, when you, I think we've heard um, Will Wheaton talk about this stuff, and he understands why everyone hated his character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Troy can read thoughts again. That's so... Uh, like, uh, I gave it a three. I give it a four, so not much better. Uh, I do love Aggressive Worf. He's only in the beginning of the episode. I can't believe they're coming here! He yeah, hates the Yeah, that doesn't make Ferengi. any goddamn sense. He really hates them. I don't know if he's just remembering what happened to the last outpost or what, but he fucking hates them. Or maybe he's just ready for battle and doesn't get much of it sitting in those back stations on the bridge on the Enterprise. 
uh, Wesley knowing about the perimeter alert is kind of a pointless way to show his genius and initiative. That's what I meant by him mendoning around, by the way. Yes. Yeah, like, like, rather than just report it. And it's like, like, why do we even need to know? Yeah. Nice. All right, also, he does the same shit later, where he's like, yeah, I thought I recognized those patterns that you were looking at with Picard's brainwaves in engineering. So I went back to, like, double check, and they're the same. And it's like, true. dog, you thought Captain Picard was under alien influence, and you're like, I better double check. I'm not going to tell anyone. <laughs> I better triple check. I really want to make sure. I get my I get my ducks in a row here. Um yeah, and all the you're welcome ladies. <laughs> Adults. Worst. Oof. The worst. Oof, who's this show for? Um and by the way, we're getting late enough in here that you're starting to think Did they write eight scripts <laughs> before they had any idea of who these characters were? Yeah, I know. That's what I'm thinking. Like each episode goes by, you start to think Maybe there should be some continuity. Am I still watching them out of order? What's happening? Yeah. Is Riker an ass kisser, or is he really filled with that much admiration for Picard? Because there are times in this episode where he genuinely seems to be in awe of him. I mean, he spends he spends basically the entire run of the series as Picard's man. Yeah. And he basically creams his slacks when he's talking about the Picard maneuver. And, like, there's, like, one, we can talk about this at some point, but there's one point in the episode, the Pegasus, where Picard kind of gives him a little, I don't think what you're doing is right speech, and it seems to bomb Riker out. Dude, he spins out. Like, his whole world gets fucked over. So, I think that's fairly consistent that he he kind of has a crush on Picard. Okay, so we're saying he's not an ass kisser, because I just wanted to like, make sure. What do we know of Picard that explains why he has this position? Well, our backstory like, of Picard is the not only thing great. we know about his past career is he did something and Jack Crusher died. Right. Oh, That's actually, we don't even really know that yet. Dude, it, yeah, all you can do is and really And he lost speculate. his last ship. Yeah. A lot of speculation about his relationship with Jack Crusher at this point in the show. And yes, now we know, because of this episode, that he once lost a ship. He did kill the other ship, but he lost his ship. <clears throat> Yep, only he, I mean, he kind of didn't. He did kind of abandon ship prematurely. Turns out the ship was salvageable. Um, and Riker's the one who gets through to Picard when it counts in the end. I don't know what to do with that characterization-wise, but, you know, he's the one who gets through to him. Um, Data is easily hurt by mean words. Yep. Probably because of his no emotions. Yep. Uh, Picard seems distressed about killing the crew of the Ferengi ship, but it's hard to say how much of that is his general confusion and altered state of mind in the moment. Like, he seems regretful about what happened at Maxi Azeda, but I, he's very hard to judge in this episode, because I don't, I don't know whether he's in his right mind or not. <clears throat> Though you do get some pretty classic Patrick Stewart acting. All that stuff when the bridge is on fire. All that Vigo nonsense. Um. Uh, and also, by the way, I'm so confused with what we're going to see in the future. And like, they seem to be wearing the season one Starfleet uniforms. Yes. Nine years ago on the Stargazer. Mm-hmm. But like, who knows what's real? Yep. Yeah. I gave it a four on characterization. So. Yeah. Uh, did we? Um, do you want to run those numbers? I'll. I can. Getting some quick hitters, unless you've already run them. Uh, I've got the numbers. Okay. Uh, 
I gave it a, a 19, and you gave it a 24. Oh, wow. 24 is pretty good. So 43, which is two higher than Justice scored last week, and uh, 41 was enough to win the week last week. So I'd have to say the battle's in a pretty good position so far. Yeah, again, I think they're scoring points just because they're they're playing the sci-fi game right. They're just playing yeah. it right. You know, um, don't don't you, hate the player, hate the game, right? You have some quick hitters for me on this? I'm yeah. sure you must. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Starfleet and Picard are mad patient. I wouldn't wait three days for the Ferengi to get back to me. When the episode oh, yeah, starts, that's crazy. He's been waiting. That's three... a crazy thing from the beginning that never comes up. Yeah, he's like, oh, hey, uh, we, they called us here and it's been three days and they haven't told us why we're here. I would have been like been flying in formation for three days. Yeah, I would have pieced out after like six hours. And I'm like, well, I guess you didn't really need me. Um, uh, just a side note. Um, is that who Ferengar Secret Fire is named after from Skyrim? Is he named after the Ferengi? Uh, could be. Okay. All right. Just again, I I don't know if, in the part that we recorded over the part that didn't record right. Uh, I'd mentioned many times that I was sick, and so some of these notes are a little bit off. I don't remember him ever <laughs> saying of your character when you meet him, you you adorn yourself with gold. That's I know that's not Ferengar Secret Fire's voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do it better. I can't. I only have one Skyrim voice really. <laughs> uh, Picard saying uh, over and over again, a headache, a headache. I almost expected him to do his weird horse cough. Yeah. He's got some real great... Uh, hey, Doc, I legit can't remember. Is Tasha Yar in this episode? She says a few words. Okay, she, so she's barely in this one, right? Yeah, she reads a few readings from her console, I think, is pretty much it. Oh, no, I remember there's one point where she butts in about the Stargazer. Like, it's just slowly sneaking up on him. Right. And she's like, Captain, do you want to... I mean, are we doing anything about this? <laughs> um... Happy, polite Ferengi captain should be some kind of a giveaway for everybody involved, right? I guess, but they've only met the the one other guy. Yeah. Uh, let's see, an old-style starship, Constellation class. So those are post-TOS, so I wonder how old they are. Like, some starship types seem to live forever in Star Trek. Yeah. And that one apparently is not one of them, because they consider it hella decrepit. <clears throat> I mean, different, like... There are some old ships still in the Navy, too. Right. But, like, this would have been a ship of the line at, of its time. Yeah. You have to imagine. Well, it had so many nacelles. It, it's so hard It's so hard to understand how Starfleet is organized. Like, at some point, we'll hear them talk about frigates and stuff, and it's very Ugh. jarring. Yes. They seem... All of their ships seem to act independently like cruisers. I agree. Yes. There, well, first of all, there are no groups until until the, the war. Dominion War. Yeah, exactly. so for, like when they assemble thirty nine ships together at Wolf three five nine. That's like thirty nine independent cruisers. You're right. Right. Just like all coming together. Uh, it's a very good question. The Stargazer, of course, is a kit bash. Yes. Of the Constitution refit from the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, wouldn't it be cool if it had like. Like du- like double nacelles, but that means that like the Miranda, it looks like it's about eighty years old. Yeah, I guess that's true. like it has the visual design of being eighty years old. Now, probably they have upgraded it. Yeah, put in new computers, new phaser banks, maybe a new warp core. Right, like that happens in the navy. Why wouldn't it happen in Starfleet? Yeah, they're not at the point where they're building hundreds of ships yet. 
You know, they're not at the point where they have snapped their fingers and they instantly are building hundreds of starships and have all the crew to man them. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Um, (laughs) How many Constellation-class ships does Picard run across in his day-to-day life that even while Bok is standing on the bridge talking about the Battle of Maxia over and over again, just like never dropping the subject of the Battle of Maxia, (laughs) it doesn't occur to him that the Constellation-class ship creeping up on him might be the Stargazer. Okay, Might this be his is old ship. in my quick hitters a lot. Picard's memories and and recollections of the Battle of Maxia seem really incomplete. For considering that it is the battle in which he lost his ship and, and then he had was, was court martialed, we learn later. Yeah, he's so, like, what? What is that? What happened? Ma- the Battle of Maxia? Was I there? What? I don't think I was there. You must be talking about a different captain. It's like, what's this, what's this old ship coming up? What? Battle of Maxia? Huh? He seems to need a lot of reminders about what it was and what happened. Like, is it so traumatic that he's blocked it out? Ugh. Anyway, uh, he doesn't give a rank or position when he introduces Data to the Ferengis, as he does for Riker and Troy. He just says, and this is Data. So, I wonder what he thinks of Data. Um... (laughs) He doesn't want to have to explain that a robot has the rank of lieutenant commander. Unfortunately, he doesn't it's... get out of talking about Data, because then they have to have a long conversation about him. He's not for sale, secondhand merchandise, etc. Yeah. Uh, did Bach insist on meeting in person because he simultaneously beamed over the Thought Giver? If so, that's somewhat well thought out. Oh, nope. That one, the Thought Giver's on the Stargazer, so why yep. is he, why, why did they have to meet in person? Because he's, he's got revenge fascination. But it's not even like he beamed over there to shoot him in the head. No, because he wants to watch his dumb Inspector Gadget plot play out. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Uh, yeah, and then I talk about why Picard has no memory of the Maxia engagement. Um, but then his memories of it are very intense. His memories and emotions. I guess that's just because of the thought maker or thought giver or whatever it's called. Oh boy. Hit? I'm sorry, but anything could be important. That's what Troy says at one point when he says that the headache hit him. Oh, yeah. And then, how about this gem? Oh, that was just part of my memory. And then, hey, I'm getting quite caught up in this. The dialogue (laughs) monster is back to murder us again. We thought he was gone, but we should not have thought that. He came back for for episode eight. (laughs) Who is writing this? Why is this happening? It's got to be Gene Roddenberry ghostwriting all of these, right? Like, it's be somebody else's name, but it's just him. There's so much really awkward dialogue that happens in all these TNG. Way more awkward even than TOS. They don't talk to each other like real people no. in this show. Picard goes, oh, and then the headache just hit me. And Troy's like, hit? I'm sorry, but anything could be important. Like, that couldn't. <laughs> like, that doesn't seem like it's real important. That specifically will not be important. Ugh. Um... How famous is the Stargazer? Is it just famous for Maxia Zeta? Because Jordy says that he read about the Stargazer at the Academy. Was he just talking about that battle? If you figure they have 50 ships in the whole fleet, and one of them was lost in a battle, they probably do talk about it at the Academy. But it's just for Maxia Zeta, right? Also, I'm not 100% sure on the timing. Jordy's still a, a JG yeah, lieutenant. Nine years ago. It would have been pretty fresh, though, for sure. It would have been real fresh when he was at the Academy. Yeah. Um, Riker, deep in thought, when Data's trying to talk to him, going into the commercial break, looks just like Cro-Magnon Riker will in Season 7. Yeah, that's great. And there's, that's a, great l- little... there's a lot of frakes in there. 
Yeah, well, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Kazago uh, knows human expressions. Why? Oh, yeah. Uh, universal translators don't make any goddamn sense. Yeah, I don't. But he's like, as you humans say, how do you know? What? what? How many humans you ran into? You know all their expressions. Uh, what is that art? I, re- I have read your book, Twilight. <laughs> I know all about your Northwest Werewolf. Pacific. <laughs> um, what is that art on Picard's desk? It's hideous. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed it. Um, why is Crusher surprised that the person everyone's huddled around in Picard's office is Picard? I mean, is it because she ordered him to go to sleep or because she's dumb as shit? Yeah, she ordered him to go to sleep, but, like, it's not clear that that was right before that. <laughs> right. Like, but, when he was like, yeah, I slept six hours, what do you want? It's like if I went into somebody's somebody's office and their name tag was on it, and everyone was all huddled around, and I started talking shit about them, and then, like, one of them moved, and I saw that person sitting there, why would I be surprised? No, there's no reason. And then uh, one final quick hitter, ugh, to Beverly calling Riker number one. Yeah, that's gross. Not a fan of that. <clears throat> um... Did you notice that uh, when Kazago is talking to Riker, uh, he ends with a little fade out? I like that his transmitter has a fade out button. <laughs> That's right. Just He's like fade to black. DJ style. Um, everybody treats the Stargazer threat as though it's a very real threat. Well, again, it's because like, of the power of Picard. Granted, but it's like, hey, that that ship looks like junk. It's old and it's junk. You know, what makes this show, one of the things that makes this show very different from Enterprise, is that this Starship Enterprise has not been involved in a lot of firefights yet. Has it been involved in any? Mm. I can't think of any. Did they exchange shots with the Ferengi briefly? I think they were ready to fire photon torpedoes, like, we have energy to fire one torpedo or something. But I don't think they do. I think the planet secures them both. At the last outpost. But my point is, maybe they are never shot at anybody, and so just the the concept of having to fight someone is freaking them out. Yeah, um, could un- be. Unlike Archer and Enterprise, who just shoot at everyone every week. Um, Here's a big one for me, and I think Ben brought this up too. How does Riker know Picard had brought a phaser with him to the Stargazer? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't like, know. Use your phaser! And it's like, uh... Phone's ringing. <clears throat> Um, maybe think he's got one. Maybe tr- tr- transport logs. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then the trick to the Picard maneuver is very dumb. Like, just like you said, when a second ship appears, that's the one. Yep. It's not the old that, one. That's the guy. Like, if you know a guy is going to do the Picard maneuver. You no, know, they have specific warning. It's Picard. Um, that's it for my quick hitters. Um, I did best actor, worst actor. Okay. Uh, best actor is for me was, uh, Hey, I'm getting quite caught up in this Picard. <laughs> Just like the way he said it was more like a human than anything else Picard says in this episode. Sure. Uh, worst actor. You're welcome. Ladies, Wesley. Oh boy. Yeah. He's not good. Uh, so that one, I guess we should we should move on. Yeah. Um, but again, that totaled up to uh, to forty three points. Not bad. So uh, I know it's the first one we've done uh, this week until we uh, roll around. 
<clears throat> so next. Uh, this week, we watched The Passenger. Bashir and Kira run into a ship in distress and go to investigate. They find a wounded security officer escorting a dying prisoner. The prisoner tries to choke out Bashir just as he dies of his injuries. Back on Deep Space Nine, the security officer explains that this prisoner has faked his own death many times and that they should make every effort to confirm his passing. Soon after, an important cargo shipment looks to be threatened by attempts to sabotage the station, and Dax comes up with a theory about the prisoner having transferred his mind into another host. Turns out it's Bashir, and they save the day, the end. Yeah, so, um... What did we watch? Yep, this is a tough one. This is a tough one to find a take. This was very much a mystery show. Not unlike the one that happened a few weeks ago, where the guy was a, his own clone, the clone murdered people or whatever. That's correct, yeah. He I, murdered his own clone. I he had is. something very terrible. I had solutions often come from unexpected places. Dax saving the day instead of Bashir, who the episode is supposed to be about in the beginning. And Lieutenant Primmon doing some really good work instead of Odo. That's what I got. Look, I mean, okay. It's not... It's, I gave it a two. I should probably give it a one, to be honest. Um, so, my take is, just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get me. Oh, I like that. Okay. Because the lady, the lady security officer, the whole time is like, you don't know, this guy's crazy, he faked his death a hundred times, and they're all like, yay, relax. Yeah, yeah, no, he's for sure dead, though. Yeah, like, he's dead. You're clearly a crazy person. Uh, but it turns out he's not dead. Yeah. Um boy, that's a shit. That ain't take. great. That ain't great to me. <laughs> yeah. That's um that's a 3. Well, it's a 3? Oof. I want to give mine a 1 and I I like mine better than I like yours to be honest. <laughs> um how, well, how do you think they executed on your on your take? Uh 0. That's a zero. <laughs> I gave it a 0. Um <laughs> so you didn't reward it. You didn't reward it for having a shitty take because you had reverse-engineered the take? Yeah, I guess. That's what happened. Uh, listen, everybody is so stupid and slow to catch on to what's happening. Yeah. Did Kira and Bashir not tell anyone about the make-me-live-again clutch to the throat <laughs> from the cold open? It's true, the guy did say that with his mouth. Even when Dax is holding up the guy's clutching hand? Yeah. She and Cisco are like, well, it's probably in that uh, that Lady Javert that we got on board. That's right. And like, boy, is she crazy. Oh, what? He grabbed Bashir's throat and said, make me live again. Yeah. It's, it's definitely in Bashir. Yeah, so for those who have not watched the shitty episode, they go on the ship to save, the to say, you know, Bashir is Bashir, so he wants to save everyone's life. Even the guy who's the serial killer who the security officer keeps warning him about. And he goes to save the guy, and the guy chokes him out, and literally says with his mouth, make me live again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> make me live again. But, but, like, even when Dax figures out that he did it with machines in his fingernails, it's like, they're still real surprised when it's Bashir. Yeah. They're 100% certain it's the security officer. I think your, um, uh, your initial take that uh, the 
the bridge crew or whatever the main crew of ds9 make bad detectives i think that might have been just as good yeah when we were watching them this week i did send to you that i thought my take for the i was trying very hard not to make my take for this episode the ops crew are terrible detectives yeah because they're this is a couple episodes in a row maybe three or four in a row where we've seen them not do great investigative work like i get that in a good mystery the viewer is ahead of the detective mm-hmm. like in an enjoyable mystery right but my god yeah they're dumb <clears throat> um but but from reading ben's take on this episode mm. uh it seems like he thought maybe that the the gut thing was in her brain briefly oh boy but that just that just didn't happen <laughs> I was going to say, did we, maybe we misread it, but you think no? No. You think Ben misread it? No, because I remembered when he clutched Bashir's throat and said, make me live again. <laughs> and it did not do the naked now hiss. That's true. There's no but way to it might it. as well have. Yeah. yeah. We might as well have seen Glitter move up into Bashir. What did he, what did he do for the take and, and his score on the take? Uh, his take is criminals be sneaky as fuck. Okay. Well, that's nothing. And then he said there isn't really a take here. Hunches are sometimes true. Which I guess is similar to mine. Sure, right. Uh, he rated it a two. Wow, okay. Um, uh, I feel like we like all you. overrated it on the take. Anyway, how did you have on execution for... <coughs> Solutions often premise, come from... Which I have already forgotten. Solutions could come from unlikely sources. Yeah, okay, so this episode starts with a bunch of crap about how brilliant Bashir is, even though most of it's coming out of his own mouth. Um, but yep. he's the host of this serial killer for most of the episode, and so he can't come up with any of the solutions. And that Copliad security officer, the aliens are the Copliads in this. Copliad, Copliads, I don't know what the plural is. Yeah, I rarely write down the names of the aliens of the week. It's not going to be important. These people will never come back. Um, <clears throat> she's been chasing this guy for 20 years, but she's put out a commission by any, a dumb injury and has no chance to help. So it's Dax who comes through. You know, she does basically all of the investigative work on Starfleet's side. Um, which I think is unexpected given the beginning of the episode. And we're supposed to think that Odo's going to save the day to show Starfleet what's what. But instead, he learns to trust this Starfleet guy, Primen, because he comes through in the clutch with this waste reclamation system thing that he finds. Yep. The problem, of course, is that I had to reverse engineer this take, and the evidence isn't really explicit enough to seem intentional. And um, it works a lot better for the Odo-Primen plot and less well for the Dax plot, because she's probably supposed to be brilliant. Like, she is the science officer. She's, yeah, literally the science officer. So, <clears throat> you know, f- four is a really low execution score for something that I reverse engineered based on the facts of the episode. I guess that is a good point. That it's <laughs> like, this is, all I could figure out is that this must have been an episode about this, and they, I'm 40% on that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I honestly, I think the the most obvious solution is the one that is probably usually the case in these terrible episodes, is that we are putting in so much more thought than the writers did. And the writers yeah. had no take, and they just wrote a mystery show. And well, they, yeah, I think they did not know that we would be judging them by this rubric, so they yeah. thought, let's do a fun mystery. Yeah, that's dumb. Which they still didn't do, because it's not fun. Did they know there were going to be 15 CSI shows to, to do that? It's <laughs> a good question. Like, that's where we can go if we want. I mean, there was Law & Order back then, right? You can like, just go to watch Law and Order if you want to watch a mystery show. If I even even if I want to watch one that's like science based, I could just watch Bones. That's right. So I don't need sci fi for that. That's not what it's for. Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, so this one sucked eggs, but yeah. what about world building? Was there anything interesting in there for you? There are such as Kobliads, and they have to get Deridium to keep their cells alive or some such. Um, I actually don't mind that plot point, because it did give the bad guy a motivation. All of his crimes seem to revolve around the motivation to keep himself alive longer, and growing up and being a Kobliad probably gave him some crazy complexes about that. So I thought that was like an interesting thing to put in their society that they they die real soon unless they get these deridium shipments to keep their cells alive or whatever yeah but it's like and again not they're not coming not back. this episode of deep space nine's fault <clears throat> yeah but the voyager episode phage that we watched a few weeks ago did this better oh yes for sure god it's so hard to give voyager compliments it seems like it's it feels so very bad to say that that is i think that is so far our highest scoring episode <laughs> yeah what well, they just they, they kind of they found the recipe um there are some tensions between Starfleet and Bajoran security that are starting to like crop up. So that's like an interesting dynamic to explore. Um, the doctor recommends an anti-gravity generator for lifting weights, which makes me ask, what's the point of lifting weights? If you're going to use the anti-gravity generator to lift weights, that's something that people do in the future? Then why are you lifting weights? Doc, I don't remember that at all. But, I'm sure that it happened, but I blotted it out. Uh, as they come in to see Bashir, and he's finishing up with a patient. And he says, and next time, lift with your back straight and use the anti-gravity generator. Maybe it wasn't, maybe the guy wasn't lifting weights for fun. Maybe he was, like, lifting Yeah, no, he works in a warehouse or something, man. Okay, that's fine, then. But I just, there are anti-gravity generators for lifting weights. I was really, I was trying really hard. I gave it a four. Okay. Um, <clears throat> this, and I was not so generous. Okay. I already wasn't feeling good about this episode. I give it a two. Okay. Um, there is such a thing as a dying race, and no one asks about that at all. Yeah, that's another one of those things where I feel like the characters have all gone through it, and so they don't feel the need to explain it to us, which is bad writing. It's like, oh, the Kobliad are a dying race, and they need Deridium to stabilize their cells, and no one's like, what? <laughs> yeah, everyone just goes, yeah, I know. Duh. How can you, how can you be a dying race? Like, <laughs> what does that mean? Why don't they get the Deridium they need in their diet? Right. Um, there's a reference to the Katra, the Vulcan Katra, Star Trek Three. That's really more continuity than world building, but mm-hmm. it, well, at least it hasn't been forgotten. Uh, well, that's a dumb plot in Star Trek Three. Yep. Star Trek Three colon Leonard Nimoy wants back in. That's right. Uh, Deridium is so toxic that the whole Bajor system would have to be evacuated. Yep, but these guys need it but, to live. I guess DS9 is the right place to make this transfer, and also an unarmed freighter is the right vehicle to transport it. Yeah, not an out-of-the-way like uh, transfer station where there's no sentient life to worry about. And, and you're not right. on the Enterprise, yeah, which an, does cargo runs all the time, by the way. Not an armed ship of any kind, or right. secure in any way. <clears throat> yeah. So negative world building is what we're talking about. Um. Yeah, well, like I'm saying, that that lowers the points for the other stuff, I yeah, think. I agree. Uh, the only other thing, uh, <clears throat> is this the first time we see the inside of a Federation civilian vessel? I don't know. Um, so far in this project, probably. Because they're all wearing, like, what terraformers would be wearing in the next generation or something, you know? That's true. I did notice their uniforms. Okay. So a two for world building. Yeah, it's a two. <clears throat> and um, frankly, for characterization, I gave it a one. Ouch. That's uh, an Enterprise-level score. Cisco is not Picard, blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah. Odo is uncomfortable being supervised in questions. Yep. Bashir is an incredibly arrogant asshole. Uh-huh. Quark is a buckwild criminal. Yes, he is. He is often involved in he is all of hiring, the criminal conspiracies. Hiring mercenaries to steal <laughs> something so dangerous that if the if it leaks into the system, Bajor will have to be evacuated. And yet Odo must feel he's a very valuable piece of information. Because he even something that seems like it must be extremely criminal. He's just like, nah, don't worry about it. I know, Quark. I know what's going on. Uh, but that's all retreads. Like, we've seen that all. We saw Quark doing sex trafficking two or three episodes ago. And we saw him putting in the contract that his his co- employees have to do him. Yeah. All retreads and all dumb stances for the show to take. Agreed. So, that's a one. <clears throat> like, it's not. it doesn't show any of the characters in a good light. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have. So we're all supposed to hate Bashir. What is the point of that? Doesn't it make him difficult to use in like a variety of different plots? Like, I guess if they think we're going to redeem this guy, well, like he's going to have an arc, so we have to start him out low. Until that happens, I'm going to hate seeing him in every scene. Yeah. Is Dax supposed to be sexy? Because they keep beating us over the head with how hot she is and how everyone. They tell us her. a lot that she's supposed to be sexy. Yeah, like Yar in TNG. But. Uh. It would probably work better if they gave her a personality. I think so, too. Like, any personality. I don't, I don't think she's not sexy because of the way she looks, but she just she seems like she's so boring. Yeah, like, so boring. I mean, okay, she's Tuvok-level boring. She is exactly Tuvok-level boring. Like, she has gotten into more plots than Tuvok so far in this project, but she is not any more interesting than Tuvok. Like, when I asked about the battle, if Tasha Yar was in that show, it was because I really had forgotten that she was in it. That's right. And uh, normally, Tasha Yar yells about stuff in every episode. Yep. So that's weird for her. But it's normal for Dax to be so goddamn boring. Yeah, if anything... So in, like, advanced NBA statistics, they have something called usage rate. Which basically just basically describes how often the player handles the ball and how often they are a playmaker, whether it's an assist or or a basket or whatever. They would really be better served on DS9 by reducing Dax's usage rate, except for the fact that you don't know who's going to fill that spot. Like if they don't put Dax in every plot, which other terrible, boring character are they going to put in? You know. I mean, I'd take more Kira. I think at this point. Yeah, at least they gave her a personality, even if it sucks. Her personality's not great, yeah. but they're not, like, they're not dragging out her dislike of Starfleet to the degree that they've done with, like, T'Pol and Tucker yeah. in Enterprise, yeah. so, like, she's sort of starting to play along. Right, yes, and, like, I agree. Yes, like... Yeah, I guess you're right. They could they could throw more Kira in where Dax that, that's goes. But, but, that, but otherwise, I mean, more <sighs> O'Brien, he's been like, oh. just not in the show the last couple of episodes. Oh, yeah, seriously. Was he in this one? I don't even remember. Well, they didn't say he was on vacation. <laughs> Which they felt the need to put in the opening of the one before that. Oh, anyway. Uh, granted, Quark is a stupid character, but I think Armin Shimmerman is probably the best actor on the show. Which is a real low bar situation. I am inclined to agree insofar as he seems like the only the only actor on the show that has two speeds. Yes. He may even have more than two. It's like the the basic level of acting that you need but to be But no an actor. one else has even two. Like, Agreed. He his character is 
is duplicitous, but even when he's playing innocent Quark, he plays it in a way that not only are you not supposed to believe it, but that you know that the people in universe aren't supposed to believe it. Yes. Right. But also without winking about it. I think he is accomplishing like the base level that you the base level talent that you need for acting. Yeah. Which no one else on the show is uh, able to master. But again, I do not love how buck wild they're making him right now. He's a straight up supervillain. He's yeah. like Lex Luthor. Before I mean, he like finds kryptonite or something. He has orchestrated the stealing of plutonium in this episode, <laughs> That's basically. Right, dude. Yellow cake, dude. Yellow cake. That's what he's stealing. Don't drop that shit. Um, I do appreciate Cisco's straight up attitude with Lieutenant Primmon. When the guy comes yeah. in and he's like, yeah, I can trust that Odo guy. And he's like, well, no, I mean, I know Odo and I don't know you, so you can eat a dick. Um, I'd also like, hey, we're, I mean. This is their station. Like, we're kind of, we're guests here. We're right. kind of guests here. They needed help and we're here to help. We're not. Yeah. Yeah. His attitude in that regard is not too bad. Yeah. There are so few likable characters on this show that it's good to have one scene that makes you go, oh, okay. Hmm. That wasn't so bad. It's like when Janeway. Yes. Is flawed. Except yep. that they, they, like, that's just part of her character that she, like, can admit when she makes a mistake and stuff. And and that instantly makes her by far the most likable character on the show. You're just like, oh. Yeah, she's just, like, a hundred times better than anyone else on Voyager because she seems like a person. That's right. And you, like, you feel like you would not hate her. That's right. You'd be like, she'd be way too into your hobby <laughs> or, like, your animal spirit or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, that'd be a little irritating, but it'd be like, you would... You wouldn't feel like her heart was in a bad place. You'd be like, okay. Yeah, and you would never... This is her. She's trying to engage. You would never dare to assume that she was good at her job, but you'd go, oh, she's like a regular person. Yeah. Uh, Unlike Odo, who is not likable at all. He's fundamentally unlikable. And they haven't even gotten into... I mean, they've had just... Just a bare couple of moments where they mentioned that he is fundamentally different from everyone else on the station. Yeah. And that he shouldn't have the same motivations and stuff. Right. They have not touched that. Like, it's sitting out there for future writers to do work on. Yeah. So, without that, you're right, he's just a he's just a dick. Yeah, his only personality trait revealed so far is bitchy, I guess? Yeah. He's super bitchy. And Dax spewing technobabble is kind of it's like as convincing as Denise Richards doing it in that Bond movie. That was very poor. The actress is not great at it. Um, so all that together, the one redeeming scene from um, from Cisco, I gave that a three. Okay. Um, so you didn't give it an amazing score. It was kind overall. of a bucket of poop. But you did give it more than twice what I gave it. <laughs> you you did you thrashed this one. We'll total it up, but I gave it a six and you gave it a thirteen. Uh, for so nineteen points, that's uh that's a big a big drop from not... uh from what we gave the battle. Um but what a, how a big a drop is it? Hitters. Well just real quick, how big a drop is it from what we gave Dax? Uh we gave Dax uh thirty five points. Oh my god, that episode sucked so hard. And that was a very boring episode. Oh boy, this episode ate a dick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I gave it ten fewer points than I gave Dax, and you gave it six fewer points oh, than you gave Dax. Shit. Okay. And we hated Dax. We hated that episode so much. That episode was real bad. I gotta be honest, DS9 really feels like it's falling behind. Um, maybe well, not it's the behind only one Enterprise. with no wins, and it's not surprising. Yeah, maybe it doesn't feel like it's falling behind Enterprise, but it definitely feels like it's falling behind everything else. Yeah, it has actually has scored more total points than Enterprise. God, Enterprise sucks. All right, 
uh, quick hitters. But it is behind. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple quick hitters. How do they pick the actors they give these multi-role episodes to? Um, like Brent Spiner, and now they're giving Alexander Siddig the role of a lifetime where he gets to play split personalities. I'll let you get to it later, but I hope you gave him worst actor. I did. Okay, good. All right. I did. Okay. Um, and then also, why do we need a second closed room mystery in eight episodes? That's what I'm fucking saying. That's what I'm, we just did this. We just did it. Yeah. It was like not that long ago, four episodes ago, something like that. I mean, in like in real time for you and me, it was a while ago because yeah. we only put these out every two to three weeks. Yeah, but in real life, that means you see them like twice as soon. Yeah. So bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, back to this well, huh? Yep. They don't have the... Uh, look, obviously they are not capable of better. They're not capable of it. These are bad writers, and you know what I think of TV writers. I guess that's what we're seeing. <sighs> um, so, best actor, I gave uh, unreasonable René Aubergenois. Okay. <laughs> he, he was uh, the when winner. He's, when he's just coming up to be a dick and, like, resign. Okay. That felt believable to me. Okay. And then uh, worst actor, uh, Alexander Siddig. Yeah, he... Um, I don't even know what to say about his performance. Like, who... who... He doesn't... Bashir doesn't seem like a real person. Nope. And Sinister Bashir doesn't seem like a real person. Sinister Bashir was like... I I swear to God, I don't know if I've ever seen a worse performance on television. Like, he just growls. That, just, that's his whole characterization? He talked real slow. He was just like, I'm evil. Bashir. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah, I rate that performance poor. <laughs> that's a great choice. Those, those uh, were all your quick hitters? That's it, man. <laughs> okay. Like, I hated this episode. It was shit. It was really bad. I hated watching it. Um, I hated thinking about it. People on this show are not good at acting wounded. It's all, like, cough, cough, stammer, stammer. Just do- oh, they're still better than Harry Kim from a... <laughs> exhausted Harry Kim from the... Uh, Voyager Rashomon. Dude, Garrett Wang is fucking... He's really bad at everything. But just everyone do better. Can we just do better? Um, Never seen those gloves Kira was wearing except when Spock used them in Star Trek 2. In that first scene where she's trying to fix the ship. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Bashir keeps bragging... If you're, look, if you're going to touch the reactor octagon, you need those gloves. <laughs> Bashir keeps bragging about what a good doctor he is. But then one second after the guy stops talking, he's like, this one I can't bring back. It's like, what? It's like, I guess you're not that good, dog. Like, you didn't even try. That is Star Trek medicine. <laughs> it's like the guy like, was talking one second ago. Sometimes they can bring you back no matter what. And yeah. people are real confident about that ability. And sometimes they're just like, no, that, well, he's dead. What do you want? I mean, honestly, it's already happened in this project where it was somebody's plan to kill somebody and then bring them back to life. And that guy died of smoke inhalation. Yeah. But it's like, one second. The guy's like, make me live. Eh. And Bashir immediately goes, this one I can't bring back. Great. Good job. The other guy had been dead for a long time and had like weird parasites in him. Mm-hmm. Eh, doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. Uh, Lieutenant Primen is clearly Odo's chief engineer, Logan. In case yes. you're wondering. That's so, you guys can make that. Re- It'll become more clear when we see Arsenal of Freedom. Which, by the way, every week I'm looking more and more forward to. Uh, it's coming. I cannot wait to get to Arsenal Freedom. Um, that lady pulled a B5, that security lady. She she pulled a Babylon 5. She just waited behind the door. 
and listen to the conversation so she could pop out and sound cool at the right moment. But they're talking about how the computer memory's been wiped, Primin and Odo. And Odo's like, that's impossible! And she's like, no it isn't. And she pops out from behind the door. (laughs) She's like, that's exactly what he did on Rigel 7 or whatever. And it's like, she was just waiting behind the door to say the cool thing. Yeah, that is true. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, I had I had forgotten that Bashir was the one hosting Vantica's consciousness in this episode until I heard Bashir's whispery voice in the scene with Quark. Yep, where he, like, he chokes gives it away. And he just sounds like Bashir. Just like, oh, you, I'm, it's me, Va- Vantica. And we know that Bashir goes into Quark's and runs his mouth at women all the time. Constantly. Quark should have a real good sense of who's talking. Um... Everybody in this episode freezes in place for at least a second before they get shot. It's yep. very helpful of them to make the special effects people's jobs way easier. That's way easier to animate that way. <laughs> they all just stand still and wait to get shot. And then I just finished up with Sidic Alfredo or whatever his name is. is a fucking horrendous <laughs> actor. That's it. He's bad. That's all I had. Oh. Uh, well, enough of that turd. God. This week we watched Emanation. Voyager discovers a magical new element in an asteroid field. But when they beam over to investigate, it's Shelob City. Uh, When the graveyard they're visiting suddenly becomes host to a subspace distortion, Kim is switched with one of the dead bodies and ends up on a religious planet who take him for someone returned from the afterlife. Harry, Kim, and Janeway, each in turn, totally shit up the Prime Directive shitty shit style. Uh, Can Voyager survive and what will happen to their religious weirdos? Yeah, I'm glad you took this one because there was no way to explain what happened this episode without being really unnecessarily wordy. Like yes. it's, just, it's it's all plot and no take. It's a lot of nothing. <clears throat> Matt, here's what I have. Uh death is a great mystery even in the 24th century and that's a 4. And that's essentially what I did and I gave it a 4. I uh I said we comfort ourselves about our fear of death by making up stories about what comes next. However, we can never really prove or disprove the existence of a soul or the afterlife. Yeah, that's basically what's happening in this. Fucking horrible. Uh, this this one sounds a little depressing in the sense that it gets going and you think, all right, here comes some science fiction. Yep. Oh, this I is think be something. they are about to tackle the afterlife. Get ready, everybody. We're going to ask some hard questions. Yeah, but then they just kind of don't. Nope. They like, they just kind of don't. They they're not interested. It's not what the writers were interested in doing. Like, the, I don't know. I have, this is a very unscientific and untrekky take. While it's true that these people were wrong about what was happening to their dead bodies, every character leaves open the possibility of an afterlife, which takes any declaration out of this take. It's toothless as fuck. Yeah, and also Janeway at the end basically says, look, I don't know. Yep. They're... Their neural energy is going into the asteroid oh. field, so... To me, that was like the ultimate fuck you. <sighs> Just for her to leave it like that was like the ultimate fuck you. So they might be alive in there. The whole episode, uh. that's what everyone does. Every character is like, I don't know, maybe. And then it's for her at the end to just be like, I don't know, maybe, big wink. Oof. Yeah, listen, so... I have the same sort of feeling, and we're getting into execution here. Yep. Everybody tries to be, like, real respectful of beliefs. Mm-hmm. 
and no one acts like belief in an afterlife is ridiculous. So I guess they're being positive and like not judgy. The opposite of Picard. Yes. We will come to find. I don't love introducing unknowables because they it's anti-intellectual. Yeah. Like, well, we could just never know. And also, what's the point? If your whole point is who knows, that doesn't need yeah. to be said. Like, I don't, uh, I don't also, need that. If you can explain to me what purpose it serves for that alien woman to die in the transporter, yeah. I will eat my hat. Because <laughs> that's just something that happened for no reason. And also, nobody cares. That's great. That's the best part is that no one fucking cares. Like, oh, no, she's dead. Yeah. She's been dead, by the way, for one second, and this time we can't do anything about it. It's, uh... And also, the her bag has already grown over her face. Uh, but also, like, Jim was like, well, put her on one of the asteroids. Here's here's we're, what I have done to say. We're done with this shit. I, and this isn't my quick hitters, and we're, I don't want to get too far off topic, but here's what I have to say about that entire part of the plot. Patera is her name. I call it, I've been calling yeah, her Peter Tera. Cetera. I call her Pterodactyl the whole time. Pterodactyl says she understands the risks in the procedure to send her home, even though they had explained it to her for the first time one second before that, they said nothing about the likelihood of success or the consequences for failure, and I had no idea what they were talking about anyway. And also... But what does Janeway care? She just goes, no, she said she accepts the risks. And also, she now believes for the first time in her entire life that there might not be an afterlife, and she's like, well, I died before, I'm... I'm ready to die again. Even though my entire fundamental outlook on what happens after I die has changed, I'm still just as ready to die. Yeah. Oof. Oh. Uh, the writing is... It's a problem. Yeah, so... <clears throat> that, yes, that side of the plot, the Voyager side of this episode, is... This is not a great episode. That's the bad side of this bad episode. Yeah, that's the real... That's the double downer. Yeah. Uh, execution. I know we just I talked a, a lot about it. That was yeah. I give it a four, and for all those reasons, man, I also gave it a four. It's weird how uh, in tune we are on this stuff. Um, so this was maybe the most convoluted way to ask a question about the afterlife, and then it turns out they weren't actually interested in asking any questions or doing any deep exploration. Yep, they quickly put the fucking kibosh on these dudes' death beliefs, but then everyone just goes, "Oh well, we still don't know what happens when you die." Drag, and the rest of the episodes about how to get Harry Kim back. Yeah. And the events of the whole episode probably would have been better used as an anecdote in a better episode. Like, hey, remember when yeah, we went to that of. planet and those people they uh thought they they thought there was an afterlife and but the, it turns out they were bodies were just going to asteroids. Like it would have been better in in a ten second explanation by somebody. Yeah, also what? Why is that happening? Yeah, no one can, no one knows. No one knows. That's as no much of a cares. mystery as the afterlife. These people grew up on a planet where a fucking subspace rupture occurs every six hours, and anything you put in it disappears. And they've developed a religion about it. And I guess that makes sense. That part makes sense, but... But, like, the part where their consciousness is going into those rings, and their bodies contain an unknown, super stable, super heavy element. What was the point of any of that? Yeah. What does it mean? And then that garbage in the end about neural energy is like the ultimate throw it against the wall and see what sticks bullshit. Like, why did she even bring that up? Because she goes, like, right after that, he goes, you really think so? And she goes, I'm just talking out of my ass. I don't know. But also, <laughs> like, what are we doing? You know what? Can I give, I'm giving you... it a three. I'm giving it a three on execution. I want to downgrade why, it. Why are you trying to? <laughs> okay. Because that's why, garbage. What, 
what sense does it make to try to comfort Harry Kim and say maybe these specific people uh-huh. going through this specific subspace rupture and then their energy goes into this specific energy field have some kind of life after death how is that supposed to be comforting to harry kim he ain't gonna go through that yeah so if you want to live after you die stay on this planet find that little old man and tell him yeah Uh, yeah Uh, yeah i'm getting angrier about this episode the more we talk about it it's bothering me a lot uh did you have anything else to say about execution no all right. World building. What do you got? Yeah, they did some. Okay. Um, 246 known elements. Yep. Then this is number uh, 247. These asteroids that all have Class M atmospheres. Apparently, that's no one even cares. Not remarkable. It's, I found it very remarkable, but you're right. They did not. Uh, neural energy asteroid fields and subspace vacuoles. Um, the thing that bumped this score all the way up to a 5 for me mm. uh, is the... Uh, class 5 humanoid designation and the yeah. standard procedures for resuscitating them like it makes sense that they have a classification for life forms that they've never met and they have some medical knowledge that's based on that that classification that taxonomy yes a sort of a general procedure right right like well because this is a class 5 we know that they you know you can sort of do the you have these mitigation steps and things like that yeah so. the class 5's got like lungs and uh right. like a kidneys and and so so forth yeah so um that i felt like was world building okay i totally missed um, that by the way i think i was i was pissed off or something yeah but you know None of that is specific to, like, Voyager's situation in any way. Mm. Like, this is all stuff about... This is all little tiny stuff about the Star Trek universe, and it would have had a much lower score without that Class 5 humanoid behavior. Um, so, yeah, I had 246, now 247 elements. Um, I also had Emergency Transport Procedure 21 Alpha. Which is what which has we know has something to do with the pattern buffer, but it's not. But I think it's not transporter code fourteen, so we don't know what it is. No, no, no. So it's not blow this up, which is awesome, which is a great transporter code. But is it? My question is: Is that what we suggested after Picard's beamed back from that cloud a few episodes ago? Is that try to get his pattern back from the transport? Is that the cure for death pattern? I think it's it's. Because they go, oh, well, she's, he's, he's gone. Try transporter code 21 alpha. And they're like, oh, his pattern's already degraded or whatever. Like, we lost his pattern in the system. Yeah. I think it's something like that, yeah. I think that's an attempt. It makes sense that there should be, like, nothing about the transporter is consistent or thought out. It's because it's not, it's not good writing. Because it's a magic machine. Yes. That was invented so that they didn't have to show a shuttle landing uh, <laughs> in every episode of the original series. That's right. <laughs> But I I do think maybe that was some sort of an attempt to tackle the the stupid door that TNG opened with that. Yeah, I mean it's something. Which is sometimes when they try to go back and address these things, they do a worse job than if they'd left it alone. I'm not, but this one wasn't that; it just wasn't clear what was happening. Right. Um. Yeah, we're gonna learn a ton about these weirdos on their planet, but none of it's gonna matter five second five seconds after the episode ends. So yep, I gave it a I gave it a three. Yeah, I generally don't count. Uh, alien of the week stuff is world building. Yeah, I I do if I if I feel like from what they're doing that we're going to have a chance to see them again. I didn't. I never at no point in this episode do you have and actually often in Voyager because they're trying to go somewhere, they're trying to go home, 
and like they're yeah, not going to hang. They're not going to stick around. Yeah, they're not going to hang out. So it's, they don't want to hang out with these people. Yeah. So that's, they only got a three for world building for me on this. Also, thing. not a hundred percent clear. These people might not be in our universe. I'm still not clear on it. Yeah, they never really do a good job of figuring out where these dudes are. Whether he's really in another dimension. I mean, subspace is involved, so who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but they're not on the planet with the rings. So. Um, Characterization. I'm sorry, what was your score? Three. Okay, three's not great for that. No. That's fine. <clears throat> uh, see, Chakotay is so damn spiritual. Oh. I wonder if it's because he's an Indian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Harry Kim mm-hmm. is a very well-trained Starfleet ensign. He tries not to give away too much or talk too much about his situation, but fails. And realistically, in his case, there's not much he can do. I mean, he came from the middle of nowhere. He kind of has to talk, talk to him about stuff. But, um, you know, he tries to be sensitive about their beliefs. Too bad he totally changed that guy's mind about dying. Yep. Uh, why did they... Yeah, he, what Loxana Troy failed to do... <laughs> Right. Intentionally, yeah. Harry Kim accidentally does right away <laughs> in Half a Life, which we will probably never get to. But hopefully, it's only season two. We got a shot. Do you think it'll score better or worse than Emanation? Better. I, that, I think so too. It's like uh, that's to me feels like real sci-fi. It's science fiction. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's again. It's well, we'll talk about it in quick hitters. Yeah. Why did they pick that fucking space cadet Kess to hang out with Pterodactyl? Like. She's the worst company. That lady asks she... her if they all just end up as lifeless corpses, like a really serious question. And Kess just smiles at her like that like that question was just friendly banter and tells her some nonsense about Ocampo beliefs, which is not comforting. No. Like that it lady comfort me, Annie. That lady is going through a thing and she looks really broken up about it. And she's like, Are, is this it? Like we're all just lifeless corpses? And Kess just smiles at her like <laughs> You're fun. <laughs> so fucking horrible. <laughs> I don't know. No one else was really in this episode. I don't know. I got. I gave. I gave it a four. I should probably give it a three. Give it a three. Okay. <laughs> Fucking talking yourself down. This is not a good episode. Uh, it was also initially a four for me. No. Um, I thought it was unusually bold for Harry Kim to walk into that death chamber. No. Yeah. Knowing like nothing. None of the rest of that plan. But I guess there wasn't like a girl in there or anything. <laughs> That's true. That's what he's mostly scared of so That's far. Right. That would definitely would have scared him away. Uh, once again, Janeway is like 90% an engineer. Yeah. Like, we don't know her background, but like, I think we have to believe she was an engineer at some point, there, right? There's some technical stuff in her background, for sure. Like, she shouts at uh, Fresca to use transporter code <laughs> 21 Alpha instantly. Yep. Lieutenant Fresca, or whatever her name is. Um... <laughs> Chakotay is so respectful of the dead that he gives that no tricorder order. Oh, I, I was baffled. Which is bonkers. Baffled. Uh, it's pretty bonkers. Um, it is I disrespectful guess, to like them. You said, like you said, he's in touch with the land and the winds and shit. <laughs> it's disrespectful to read to read their chemical composition and stuff. It's disrespectful. Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, I said it was a four because uh, all of that sucks, but uh, at least Janeway gives Kim a couple of days off. Oh, that's nice. Like, that's literally something we never see. Yeah. In any other Star Trek. People go through horrible shit. And there's never any indication that Picard's like, yeah, don't come to work for a couple days. Yeah, oh, yeah. what, you've been being mind-raped every night? <laughs> You're good, though, take right? A, take a couple. Take a couple <laughs> days off. You're right. Certainly by the next week, everyone's always back on duty, just chilling, just doing their thing. 
Oh, hey, uh, your arm was surgically disconnected and reattached in your sleep? <laughs> and by the way, you remembered only the most chilling aspects. You're on vacation. <laughs> this never happens, right? But it like makes a lot of sense. Uh, so the fact that we see Janeway being like, no, you're going to need a couple days to process this shit that you just went through. Dude, the episode after Worf gets a spinal transplant and is seen like barely able to walk at the end of the episode, he's just doing his duties again. So anyway, that pulled characterization up for a four for me, despite the fact that the other things I said are very dumb. Well, that was very, that was very nice of her. You're right. I didn't realize that. Because <clears throat> I was um, screaming at the TV. While I tally this up, yeah. what do you have quick hitters wise? Well, let's see if I got anything down on paper. Uh, yeah, what luck. This fancy new element is on M-Class asteroids. Um, they haven't learned their lesson about mining in the Delta Quadrant yet? Nope. They just go like, well, right down there. We need, let's get them elements. Yep. Uh, Last I, time, uh, somebody lost their lungs, but that's cool. <laughs> and th- it was only like an episode before that, before there had been some other mining-related trick that had happened. Um, I like that priest's crazy pope hat. It was a nice hat. I appreciated that. Oh, the thanatologist or thanologist, because clearly uh, Garrett Wang was only occasionally able to say thanatologist. <laughs> it was his Doc Tang moment. Um, I think... I saw that casket prank on Jackass one time, where one of them jumped out of a casket at a funeral. Oh, yeah. Um, That's probably, um, oh, it's the party boy. What's his name? Party boy? <laughs> you know, the guy who wears the American flag Speedo. Oh, um, so not Steve-O, but, um... Pontius? Is it Chris Pontius? Chris Pontius, the one who died, the one who died in a car accident. Yeah, okay. he should have he should have jumped out of that bitch. Well, no, wasn't it Ryan Dunn who died? Oh, you're right, Ryan Dunn. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, Pontius should have come out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, Samuel Clemens. And we know a lot about Jackass. It turns out Samuel Clemens makes his little cameo. Comes back as that fanolit fan- fanatologist. Oh, I see. I knew I recognized him, but I didn't look it up. But you're right. It's Samuel Clemens. Okay, who will much later in TNG play uh, Samuel Clemens, or actually before. Before he did in that Voyager episode. Before this episode aired, but yeah. later, much later in our run. Yeah. Uh, all that stuff about that procedure that Patera agrees to, even though she has no idea what it is. Um, why is this whole episode shot with weird tilty camera angles? Did you notice that? At least everything on the planet was shot with weird tilty angles where everyone's like kind of sideways. I didn't, but I watched this on my phone. <laughs> you did? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we got almost the exact same take on it, so it really did not impact your viewing of this episode. I wanted to use my monitor for something more interesting. I don't blame you. Yeah, that's all I had. It was not good. Um, so a couple of things. Uh, there's a great, uh, there's a great, uh, shot in, in this where Chakotay, uh, uses his communicator, like, not only like he's never done it before, but like he's never seen it done. He, uh. He splays his fingers way out and then slaps his palm against his chest where his communicator is. So that was great. Uh, I'm like 90% sure that Republican senators are showing the scene where the alien guy talks about how his family voted that he should die at their town hall meetings this week. Yes, absolutely. That's evidence. Uh, and then I know, I know that you resist doing more work than the writers yes. and that if we... Oh, it's the whole point of this project, though. There's no if we to... made this project how to fix these episodes, yeah, we'd be releasing four-hour episodes instead of two-hour episodes. Yep. Um, but, like, 
there's a science fiction premise in here about people who have such strong faith in the afterlife that they're choosing to die when they're healthy and normal Mm -hmm. and what consequences that would have on their society. Yeah. Uh, they, they just, and then, yeah. And the conflict would be with the Starfleet people, whether or not to try to dissuade them from it or whatever. Yeah. Like the Starfleet people who know that they're just ending up dead on this asteroid. Yeah. You'd get a real Dr. Crusher or somebody who just like, no, we have to do what's right. It's, it's ruining their society anyway. Like, young and healthy people are killing themselves for nothing. And it's, but anyway, there's none of that, but that's a way to make a better episode uh, in this, in this area, I think, because all we get is that the guy is had an accident of some kind, although he seems pretty capable. Yep. And that he, his family considers him a burden and he's a little conflicted about the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. But there's not like, there aren't people seeking this thing out. Dog, this episode that sucked. This was a sucky episode. Yeah. They got every part of it wrong. Well, anyway, we gave it 30 points. All right. Well, that seems like so more than it deserved. 11 more than The Passenger got. Passenger was a very bad episode. Take that, Deep Space Nine. You are getting yeah. crushed by a horrible episode of Voyager. But, uh, never fear. There's <laughs> always Enterprise. And, Matthew, this week we watched Civilization. jam uh enterprise locates an m-class planet in a pre-industrial stage of development and they decide to go take a look around to paul detects an advanced energy source on the planet and when archer decides to investigate he meets a charming lady doctor who he will of course try to dig up the lady <laughs> doctor has been investigating the source of the advanced energy for some time because it's straight giving people crazy boils and shit Archer finds an alien living on the planet from an advanced civilization, and they fight, I guess. I don't know. Archer saves the planet from radiation poisoning, and that chick doctor walked funny for a week. The end. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, this is another one where there's no short description of what happened. (laughs) You just have to explain the whole plot. Because it's just, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Yep. What did you get for this horrible fucking turd in a bowl? This took me a long time. (laughs) Uh, and in the end, I had to look up when people started to get interested in fracking. Okay. Because to me, the only thing I got here is technology is ruining the planet and killing people, and the robber barons don't care. Now, you see, I didn't get that, but that's that's true. This could have an environmentalist message for sure. Uh, don't worry, I only rated that a two. Is that because you didn't think that's really what they were going for? Or just because it's... you think that's a dumb take? It's not really what they're going for, and also, it's a story that doesn't need to be told in science fiction. That's true. Like, this is the B, this is the B plot of every schlock adventure movie made in the last fifteen years. Blame big corporations. People are doing shady shit in the rainforests. Yeah, and the the um, expendables have to go do something about it. Is that what those guys are called? The Expendables? Uh, well, that, there was a movie. There were three movies called The Expendables. That's the that's the Sly Stallone movie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Okay, good. <laughs> I knew anyway, it's a two. I'm surprised you didn't just call the movie the, the whole like the name of the movie is just that airplane that you love that they fly around it's, in. Yes, that's right. Um, uh, it's not a 
look, there's nothing wrong with this take, but there's nothing in it about why that alien doesn't care. Yeah. And it's really more execution. I probably should give it more points for the take. Well, it just depends on how you feel about the environmentalist message. Our father would hate it, but, you know. I guess it's a four. Yeah. I moved it up to a four. Um, you know, we'll see other, spoiler alert, we'll see other environmentalist episodes in uh, so some of these given shows. that you did not see this, what did you think this episode was about? Well, I reverse engineered it and I came up with the very cynical take. It is worth the risk of cultural contamination if your intervention saves lives. Because Paul basically warns them a bunch in the beginning about how it's not cool to um, interfere with people's civilizations or whatever. And Archer just does what he does and goes, yeah, too bad. And he goes in there and he saves them from that evil guy. And it's like, I think at the end you're supposed to be like, that was worth it. He did it. Also, he, yeah, I guess. he definitely messed with their civilization because lots of people saw a bunch of fucking phaser blasts and alien starships and shit. So. Yeah, but it's like the other individual guy who was messing with their civilization was being a real piece of shit. That's right. So it was worth it. So there's like a very anti, certainly an anti-TNG kind of take where it's just like, no, it's worth it. If you save lives, well, it's worth it. We know that TNG gets insane, particularly in season seven. Yeah. I give that a four, by the way. Okay. I felt like it was very cynical. So even though I was able to reverse engineer the take, I didn't really think it was fitting. So how'd they do? I gave them a six. Ooh. That's what happened in the episode. <laughs> well, again, how you reverse engineered it from what happened in the episode. That's what I'm saying. How heroic and brave the Enterprise crew are to go and save those people from the evil guy. But it doesn't really explore what's going to happen after they leave and what was the nature of the cultural contamination. Yeah, and also so you can't really like they, weigh the pros and cons of their intervention because they don't care. It seems like they really also framed it in the best possible way. Like the person that he meets is a scientist. Yep. So she's who necessarily has, going to react better, as in the TNG episode First Contact, where um. Oh God, I don't remember her name. Maybe Newworth. Oh yeah, she totally fucks is Riker. All up on Riker's jock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and the science minister is able to handle the first contact in a way that the other guy isn't. The security uh, guy, who the shady security guy. Yeah, this yeah. is like the the best possible situation for that. Yes, agreed. Yes. By, by by pure chance, by the way, because she happened to be watching them. Yeah. Yes, there are a few things here. Yes, she's already watching that place. She's already suspicious of that place. She's a scientist, so she's not worried about crazy cultural dogma like oh. This is going to mess up our whole society because now there are aliens or whatever. And three, she totally wants to fuck Archer. Oh, she's down to clown. Yeah, so yes. In many, yes. On many levels, it was the best possible situation for their intervention. But it just, you can't weigh the pros and cons because they don't explore them. Yeah. So, it's... but I gave it a six because that is literally what the episode says. It's worth it. Yep. So, given that I thought this was about environmentalism. Mm-hmm. Um, my execution score is not a six. Okay. Uh, it's a two. Okay, that's fair. Because, fine. Fine. But yep. then what, why do we need this pre-industrialized society? Yes. Like, what does that add to this picture at all? Yeah. That's a good question. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with this. Could it be? Unless, because it's not like they're living closer to, to nature necessarily. They're probably burning down forests to build farmland and yeah, shit. Yeah, they're probably polluting their rivers and all kinds of weird shit. Like, they're probably doing yeah. all kinds of things that 
that we used to do. Well, they probably do shit right in the river. Yeah, exactly. Correct. <laughs> um, uh, there was a minute here. So she has worked out that this guy's shop is the source of the plague. Yep. In exactly the same way that the germ theory of disease was proved in that London cholera outbreak. Mm-hmm. There's like even her map is real similar to the famous map that uh, narrowed it down to one particular contaminated water pump in London. So when did we? So for a minute I was like, oh, okay, there she's going to rediscover the germ theory of disease here, but no, nah, it's just a chemical on a drill bit. When, when did Wikipedia become um, pretty widespread? In this case? is a good question, right? Because this episode was made in 2001. Yeah. So it's like. I think that's before Wikipedia was really big, right? Wikipedia existed, but were the dumb, dumb writers of this show have been, like, randomly kicking around and read that article about Jon Snow or whatever that... I think that was actually the doctor's name. <laughs> yep. Who, who, like, isolated that cholera outbreak? So my question was, was this a Wikipedia deep dive or did they go to the library? But it, it def- definitely sounds like they had just done some reading. I think someone straight up read a book. Okay. So this was a different time still. But anyway, it turns out not to be about that at all. No. It's not really about anything. No, it's not about anything. Yeah, so everyone, I've reverse engineered the take, because what it's really about is it's a mystery. Another fucking mystery. It's a procedural. What's happening? This is, no, this literally is a procedural. Yeah. They gotta do science, they gotta get into a lab and do science. Exactly correct. They gotta uh, stealth around and shoot guns. They got Britta on the computer talking about how she can use a different filter on the photo. And that's, that's her, right. That's her contribution. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's no, not it good. really is. Um, some world building. Okay. <clears throat> um, I guess that uh, Minshara class planets predate the M class designation. Yeah, I think this is the is this the second time they've brought up Minshara class planets? I think they brought it up uh, in an earlier one too. Shit, I don't know. Maybe I think they did, but I don't remember. Still seemed, still felt new to me. Okay. Um, Fridium explosives, poisonous industrial lubricants, a lot more of how the Universal Translator works. Yep. Although, no good explanation for why it fails, except that they wanted to have a kiss. God, yeah. This is, yeah. This is not a well-executed episode. It's so not to Not talking about my two execution score. <laughs> yeah. Because that's how well the premise was executed, but just as TV, <laughs> it was not good. This at was all. pretty hacking. Oh not yeah, good. I would never give this a six on. Is this episode like well made? No, it's not. Uh, anyway, uh, it's a four for world building. There's some stuff, but it's not much. I again agreed. I gave it a four. Um, those cameras they got aren't got mad zooms on them. They zoom in and they see their faces all clear and everything. That is true. They got good cameras. Um, M-class planets are a very specific thing, and the life forms on those planets all develop in very similar ways, like their cultures and everything. They got straight-up sailboats and shit, so must have to do it's with... It's true. It's ne- it's never... It's an M-class planet. Ah, oh, it's fucking... It's full of horda. <laughs> That's right, exactly. It's always... They're very much in a... What would seem like an insane coincidence. They're very much like the way we were when we developed our societies yeah this is a show that really strongly postulates convergent evolution yep which we'll never get into because the show won't last that long but um many well, years well, later yes. when you're talking about uh actually getting to the, is that called the chase the chase yeah 
Yes, I think that's right. Chase, the race, the chase, yeah. If we do get to that one, it's going to get a good world building score. It definitely It explains away a big problem in Star Trek. Like, like maybe the central problem. Like, maybe the main problem with Star Trek. <laughs> that's true. That's going to get, I, I feel like we can already kind of pencil in a 10. That's like, it's, <laughs> if that's not a 10, then forget it, because <laughs> why are you tracking world building? In fact, we should keep that in mind as kind of the standard. That should be the it kind of That kind of is the standard 10. Uh, is this the first time we see, in this project that we've done, this is the first time we see a doctor pull the makeup artist trick? Yes. Okay. It's not the first time in the series, in the run of the shows, obviously, because on... No, we'll see... I don't know which we'll see first, because I don't remember if McCoy doctors up Kirk to look like a Romulan. Romulan, yeah, that's what I was that's thinking. That's coming up... I think that episode's not that far from now. And I don't remember if McCoy does it or how it works. Probably but McCoy. I don't know who does that. Yeah. Um, but at some point, we'll definitely see uh, Picard and Data doctored up to be Romulans yeah. by a doctor. I always wonder... And then there's an insane one in Season 7 where they make Worf not look like a Klingon. Yeah. And I... I really what will probably spend some bones. time talking about what they could possibly have done. Where all his bones and cartilage go. Right. Um, well, anyway, in this episode, Phlox does make up so they look like the aliens on that planet. And I just yep. thought, is that something that all doctors are trained to do? I'm really confused about how this works. Because every doctor in every show is able to pull this off really well. And I'm like, well, but why? Why are they able to do that so good? Uh, the transporter sucks. A little bit, just slightly more than later transporters. Like, he can't beam the thing directly to space. He's got to beam it onto the pad first. Right. The antimatter generator. And then he beams it into yeah. space. We've seen very limited use of the transporter, but you're right. I don't think we've seen any site-to-site beaming. Yeah. So it's... I guess I appreciate that they've made it slightly shittier, because it's supposed to be brand fucking new and should not be able to do as much stuff, unless they just... Unless they created a perfect product right off the bat. I don't know, but... Yeah, so far their treatment of the transporter is not the worst part of Enterprise, for sure. Yeah, I give it a four. <clears throat> World building. Okay. Um, My favorite category for Enterprise. Some characterization stuff. Um, Archer butts into people's business and kisses women, so he's just like Kirk. Yeah. Right? That's what they're doing here, right? Yeah, I understand Archer's supposed to be like giving us a roadmap to Kirk. But he is mad impulsive, like World War II Admiral impulsive. But he seems insane. Yeah, he just goes, I want to do it! He really, if Archer threw his hat on the ground after getting a bad communication from Starfleet, it would be completely in character at this point. I'm not sure he doesn't do it. I mean, he doesn't wear hats. Well, sometimes he does. Maybe he will do it. I think it's, I have not seen Enterprise, but I have seen footage of him wearing a straight up baseball cap. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. He might toss one of those in anger. Uh, But like he's not going to be Kirk and it's not because of the things that they've given him to do. So for like, you can have him kiss as many women as he wants. Yeah. If he's not manhandling them. That's right. And if he doesn't get more charismatic, yeah. it's just not going to happen. It's not the same. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. Kirk is Shatner. It's not, it's not what the writers gave to Kirk. Oh, I think we have agreed. Uh, I mean, in the eight episodes we've seen so far, right? I think we agree that that is definitely what is going on behind the scenes. Is Shatner is doing his own thing, and everyone's along for the ride. Uh, Tucker, full-blown insubordinate here. Yeah. He's going to sabotage the ship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he doesn't like Vulcans. That's his plan. Right. And, um... T'Pol seems, like, beaten down a little bit at this point. 
Wouldn't you be? I think we well, talked about this. she's just like, just going to give Archer enough rope to hang himself. I think we talked about this pretty recently. Like, her always being a bitch kind of makes sense. Because of who she lives with. It's kind of like how Paul McCartney was such an asshole. And you go, <laughs> man, why is he such an asshole? But then you kind of read about what he was living with, these other Beatles. And you go, oh, no, okay. Those other guys were morons. Like, eventually you would just turn into an asshole, right? Yep. Anyway, characterization's a three on this one for me. All right, I gave it my pretty standard one. <laughs> um, I essentially just said, you know, what roadmap to Kirk, but he's like an insane, stupid version of Kirk. Despite every warning that he gets, he always just goes, no, nah, I, I want what I want. I'm going to do it because I want to do it. In every episode, every plot. He goes out of his way to tell this chick everything about what's going on and consequences be damned. Yep. And he makes it with her and everything. And it's just like, wait, you just... She was trying to be helpful in the beginning. She's like, hey, you know, sometimes you can contaminate these societies. And I don't know, you'd have to weigh the consequences of that. You know, what do you want to do? And he's just like, fuck it, I want to go down there. Yeah, he's he's Halsey. Yeah, and no one else is really in this episode except up in space a little bit, and I I didn't like what was happening. I gave it a one. It's even weird, by the way, that they take Hoshi and Tucker down to the planet for the first act. Yeah. And then they just fucking zip back up to space and do nothing. Archer's like, you guys go back, I'll stay here, and I'll fix everything. And no one goes, what? You don't want to keep the linguist down here? No one goes, hold on a second. One, you are not the most useful person down here. Two, you should probably be on the ship. You're the captain of the ship. If you're going to send one person down, that should not be the captain. If you're, It's an away team of one. And no one says anything. They just go, whatever, he's going to do whatever he wants. It doesn't fucking matter. No, this don't matter. It's, fucking, it's just not a good show, everybody. <sighs> Give it a one. Characterization. Got any quick hitters? Uh, I had one quick hitter. Mullerians on a collie short memory. Oh, there you go. You got it, man. <laughs> Add it to the list. I'm not entirely sure Peter Garrett didn't say that. It's possible that that's in one of the live performances. <laughs> he says a lot of things in that song. A lot of them I understand. Some of them I don't. Um, I understand, like, Conquistadors in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Zulu and the Navajo. That one's always weird to me because it makes it seem like they fought each other and they did not. So they did on that episode of, uh, what's it called on the History Channel? War- warrior, Extreme <laughs> extreme Warriors? I don't know what it's called, where they like pair off historical warriors. A Roman centurion. Versus a Viking. And you go, Versus oh, okay. the SS. And like, well, <laughs> the SS had know. machine guns. And the other guy's like, but so what? Check out these swords. <laughs> um, so they did fight there. They're going to win the Navajo, for sure. The Roman centurion is paid in salt. <laughs> the SS soldier has a grenade. Man, I'm telling you, it's too close to call. We're just going to have to see what happens in the simulation. Let's run a bad computer simulation and see what happens. The numbers say the Romans got a chance. We we got this machine from the Babylon 5 offices. <laughs> All of the soldiers step at the same time. It took three weeks for us to render this battle, and it turns out... The armor is not good enough to stop bullets. SS wins! You're like, thanks for taking us through that journey, you fucking yeah. morons. Thanks for parading that as science. You yeah, By the way, I don't know if the name of that planet was Akali, but I didn't want to start it over to see if they named it. That's fine. I, I, or, like, look it up or anything. I didn't. I, I don't even think it had a name. 
I just I just thought I'd add a line to short memory. Uh, quick hitters, what I've got. Uh, last several weeks, the Vulcans have come off as jerks because they don't care about exploring. But then, in the first staff meeting in in this uh, episode, it's the Enterprise crew that's bored by spatial phenomena. Yep, they're like, "Oh God, a trinary star system! Bleh! I'll just throw up on the ground. It's so boring." Just three neutron stars. Bleh. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, wait, you were just criticizing the Vulcans for like the last several weeks for having that attitude. Dog, you just wanted to see a big comet. <laughs> I know. Like, what do you? What do you? What's this value judgment you're making on? All right, I don't know, whatever. Just inconsistent. Um, all that makeup or plastic surgery or whatever, and nothing for T'Pol's ears. Yeah, they didn't even bother. I don't care. They don't care at all. Uh, yeah, just put your hair over them. Put your wig hair over your ears. Yeah, they didn't even bring, like, such as a manufactured, a quickly manufactured headband like Spock in Star Trek Four. That's right, she didn't even tear off part of her robe to make a headband. And you think in Enterprise they would have loved that. They would have, like, had her show off her sexy midriff or whatever. Fuck exactly. Enterprise, man. No, they should have, but they didn't. Um, That dude said Malurian, but at first I thought he said Elorian, like Guinan. That would have been something. And I, like I said, yeah. It would have been so much more sinister all of a sudden. I was like, that would have made the character slightly more interesting, so of course that's not what they did. Um, uh, speaking of makeup, is it T'Pol's makeup or the actress's face that makes her look a little syndrome-y? She does have wide set eyes. She looks like a stingray. Is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think... I think... Not only do I think she's unattractive... I think Marjan th- said she was attractive. Not only do I find her unattractive, I find her aggressively unattractive. Her face you know, makes some... me very unhappy. This happens sometimes where Katie will t- talk about someone famous and I'll say, that person has a messed up face. Right. Like, like, if you just look at that person's face and forget that you're being told all the time that they're pretty. Right. You're like, oh, why is their face like that? Mm-hmm. And But Katie likes a person with an interesting face and I think there's a real aspect of that to uh what's her name presentation of beauty in the mainstream oh. right which is well, that dude's got a weird that dude's got a weird face he must be handsome yeah and i don't necessarily disagree i mean i think there is an important factor if some true beauty can't be boring right you have to not get tired of looking at their face and so i think part of that is it does have to be interesting but in the right way people let's be honest you can't just look like your face is messed up that's not going to do it. I'm, I'm sure that the reason she got this role and not the others, she was the last one cast. I read that somewhere. Uh, must have been her ability to look like she smells shit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because that's her main facial characteristic. Uh, last quick hitter. Uh, Archer mouth rapes that chick when his translator breaks. In California, he'd be up shit creek because yes means yes. That's true. Yes means yes here. You can't just so mouth, mouth rape a chick without permission. Consent. Yeah. So, um, I didn't realize now that I didn't do best actor, worst actor for Voyager. Oh, who uh, who was it? Uh, best actor, little old dying man. Oh, okay, all right, I can see it. Uh, worst actor is Tuvok in this episode. Oh, I forgot he was in it. Sorry, I never remember Tuvok. He's barely in it. What did he do that was? So I don't bad? know. I don't know bad. if he's in it. <laughs> okay, all right, that counts. I think he was there. I don't remember him. God, Tuvok is—they really have not bothered. Nope, they don't care, and I don't care either. I mean, he had his detective story a couple of weeks ago, but, like... But that was real, like, I'm off on the planet doing investigations. I'm gonna be real dramatic when I invite this dog in. I'm gonna let the, the dog room. in. I'm <laughs> the worst Hercule Poirot. That's right. Uh, for this episode, I thought the best actor was the sinister Mr. Garrel. Okay. 
<clears throat> and the worst actor I wrote, isn't it always Pouty Pouty Tucker? He's not good. Okay, except for the time you said, we went in a rowboat. Okay. That made me laugh. <laughs> that was funny. And I think intentionally. I think he did a good job. But yes, every other time he's fucking atrocious. Uh, so I've added it up. Uh, we give this episode 28 points. Doesn't sound like much. So better than the passenger, but worse than the other two. I believe it. It was not. Uh, and that's a drop off of two points from the previous week, uh, breaking the ice, which I guess was the comet episode. God, yep. Now we have to swing back around to the whoopsie episode. We, yeah, we, made we a fucked whoopsie. the dog, so it's time to go back and talk about Miri. Here we go again. It's going to be less fun this time. This duty crew finds a straight extra Earth out in the universe. It's full of kids because all the adults died in a plague. Turns out it was all the result of attempts to create longer lifespans. Every 100 years on this planet ages you just one month, except that at puberty you hella go crazy and die. Then they whip up a vaccine and save the day. Maybe. I say maybe because it's one of those things where Kirk just leaves the place and he goes, I don't know, we left some teachers there to teach the kids? Uh, that should do it. Did they? By the way, did they even leave the teachers there, or are the teachers just on the way? <laughs> no one confirms. They're not going to stick around and make sure that those kids don't die. No one confirms anything. I think that might but, be the first example of Kirk just leaving a planet, going, we fixed it. They're out of food. Like, they say that in the episode. <laughs> hey, you got no food here, but we're going to fuck off. Some teachers are coming. It's going to be cool. You guys are going to learn math so good. It's really... Uh, you know what? I'm looking forward to reviewing this episode a second time for you and me. Because that's, I think, there's enough enjoyment in this episode to do it. We did not talk about that at all in our first failed appearance. We're crushing it, people. You don't even know how good we're crushing it, everybody. All right. All right, take again. What's the take on this one? I think we agreed. Uh, Puberty. Sucks. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, Yeah, it's coming. Growing old sucks. We both gave it a three, right? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. yep. A three on the take, everybody, because that is a... It's not much of a take. It's not, because you don't... First of all, you don't need science fiction for it. Yep. Second, it's not controversial, right? Nope. Uh, second of all, every single living person already knows. Yep. Like, there's no audience to inform and that puberty just sucks dick. It just sucks. And so the question becomes, what was the point? What was yeah. the point of this? There's no point. They just... uh you know, Ben, I think, had a take on this about Lord of the Flies or something. Yeah, he pointed out that Lord of the Flies was pretty recent when this came out. Which also means that they're ripping it off, kind of. Mm-hmm. You don't get points for that. Like, yeah, we've seen a society run by children before. We know it's not good for children to be in charge. Yeah. We all knew that. Even today, when kids have, like, a lot more autonomy. Right. And they're used to their dumb voices being heard on dumb social media. Ugh, yeah. Still, nobody thinks they should be in charge. Yes, in fact, we are. It's just explained to us now more so, you know, now more than ever, what a bad idea it is for kids to be in charge of anything. Kids are the worst. So bad job. But they're not the best. Bad job, Star Trek. <clears throat> so unremarkable, yeah. unremarkable premise here. Um. So what was the point of this episode? Like. If they're not shooting for anything, I mean that's it's just to, that's what just to tell a cute story, right? Yeah, and just to again, like they sat around and they went, "What hot takes does everybody have?" And somebody they had like nine people just explain detective stories, 
And then yep. the tenth guy went, I don't know, growing old sucks. And they went, that's good. You got it. You got it yeah. right there. Nine nine people were, were like, uh, what if there's like a dude is murdered? <laughs> but it seems like it's the security guy. But then it was his... It was the guy, it was the victim, was the murderer. He was his own clone, and he murdered his clone. That's right. And that happens over and over and over and over again as they go around the writer's table. Yep. Everyone had a take like that. And then the one guy says, you know, my dad is really old, and it's really, it's hell taking care of him. And, you know, getting old is sucks. And it wasn't it great when we were all kids? And they went, wow, you are the best writer in the room. <laughs> you, we're going to pay you extra. And we're going to make sure this episode goes really well for you. And then, you know, Shatner. Congratulations, you are the showrunner now. <laughs> That's right. And then Shatner got involved and it turns into whatever he wants it to be. But um, So I think that was the point. I mean, it's all metaphorical. That's good, right? They're not just straight saying it. They make, a, they make all the people who have puberty go crazy and die. Yes, they do. It is all metaphorical. It all happens through meta- metaphor, right? Where you get this... Pl- this plague at the onset of puberty yep um and it makes you violent and it makes you cr- a little crazy yep absolutely and uh yeah that's yeah it's hormones we get it yep. hormones so you know i i appreciate that that's a real sci-fi way to do it it's real basic to understand and it's metaphorical but there are some real heavy pedophilia i'm just gonna overtones yeah uh, there's a real vibe not undertones at all and uh, that take away from my execution score for this episode. I gave it a five. Kirk has that sixth sense that sexual predators have. Yep. I think it's because he's a sexual predator. is vulnerable. Right. And that is Miri in this episode. And he does not think twice about exploiting it. He's, um... Yeah, he's pretty active. Active participation yeah. in molesting a little girl, I think is what is happening. So that's not great. <clears throat> so that's why I, I took away a lot of the points, even though they they did a real sci-fi job on this. It's just uh, couldn't really score it well. What did you score it for execution? Oh, and, uh, and, I'm afraid I only gave it a three. Okay, so you gave it a three on each. Take an execution. Yeah, there wasn't anything nuanced about it. Like, it was all metaphor, but it was the same metaphor over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, this was definitely one of those ones that felt really long. You felt the extra few minutes in there that they had in between 1967 and 1987 or whatever. Oh, right, the minutes that uh, that eventually go to commercials became commercials, especially since this show was airing on a network and the rest were all syndicated. Yes, so you f- which has a, like an extra couple of minutes of commercials. So the ten minutes or whatever there is, eight minutes—I don't know what it comes out to—of extra content. You really felt it. There was just a lot of Oof, well, this is still happening. They've been locked in that room with that lab. They've been locked in that 1960s laboratory for a long time. Yeah, and again, you know, like, you're not going to solve puberty. <laughs> yeah. But they don't, there's no takeaway. That's right. It just, yeah, just that it it's sucks. Like, it sucks, and it's going to suck. <laughs> and we're leaving now. Sorry you guys had a sucky life. Yeah, it turns yeah, out sorry, those kids have been living sorry there. Sorry you guys are basically monsters now. <laughs> because they age so slow, they've been living there for like 300 years. And uh, yeah. I guess all they came up with to do was, like, hit people in the neck with skis and stuff. That's basically it. They're not good at pranks. They call those foolies. Those are foolies. Yes. Um, yeah, we should point out again this time through that this is the uh, this is the original leg broke on the overside. Yes, which is a, uh, a favorite of this podcast. 
not because of the quality of the episode, but just because of the hilarious expressions they made those diggers. The diggers? Yeah, literally just for the one digger who shouts, I'm leg broke when he falls in that hole. (laughs) He's sitting at the bottom of the sinkhole. I'm leg broke! Like, that's rough. That sucks a dick. (laughs) I don't want to ever be leg broke. But how come we have never come up with that particular combination of words? How come we real real English-speaking humans have never said that? Because that's a good way to say it. It is. It's quicker than my leg is broken. It's, I'm sure it's probably somewhere in either Ulysses or Finnegan's Wake. Oh, I'm sure that in one of those two James Joyce novels, one of the characters says he's leg broke. Oh, those are numbers one and three on my list of things to read, so I'll get to them soon. I'll let you know. Oh, cool. I hope you make it through Ulysses. I have failed three times. I've never attempted. I'm not, it's not anywhere on my list. That was a, I was a foolie. I did a foolie on you because you're a stupid no, you grup. Did. You're a dumb grup. Uh, I'm going to toss you around like a ragdoll, Kirk style. <laughs> Uh, um, alright, so we didn't rate it well in the first two categories. What about world building? What do you got here? I assume um, there's one thing. Yeah, there's, so there's like, so okay, so there's one it's semi-interesting thing that's not much, which is that this sort of sets the time of Star Trek. Right. As being around 2260, thereabout. Yeah, they give a general, they're like, oh, it's the 1960s on this alternate Earth. Ugh. And, uh... <clears throat> it's about 300 years before our where we are, our development or whatever. So you're like, oh, okay. Yep, that's the that vaguely job. interesting thing that happens. But uh, it's a literal unexplained parallel Earth with the same continents mm-hmm. and the same technology. Same Studebakers or whatever. Like, like it's it's par- like they, they what what excuse do we have to hit the universal backlot or the Paramount backlot? Well, shit, what if it's literally parallel Earth? I'm surprised that that, you know, that meter that lights up red or green, depending on whether you're going forwards or backwards in time. I'm yes. surprised they don't have an alternate Earth light that lights up when they get close it to one. It should have. Because <laughs> they, they, again, they act, it's enough to mention. Like, the alternate Earth yeah. is enough that it, conf- like, they're, like, briefly confused and they talk about it. But it also seems like they're familiar enough with it that it's not worth exploring further. Yeah, once they get down there, no, nothing. Yeah. There's nothing else. I'm like, huh, one of these alternate Earths. And I, they, I, don't, they don't wrap it up in the end? And as you mentioned, the first recording through on this episode, later on they will have like a theory of alternate Earths or something. Yeah. To try to but they don't even attempt that here. No. Here it's just like, oh yeah, alternate Earth, okay. Like, oh, that's weird. A real... But, but how weird is it? A real werewolf situation. A real yeah, Samuel Clemens werewolf situation. It's a real werewolf this episode. <laughs> so I gave it a two um, on world building. That is negative world building for me. That So this whole thing, when you put it all together, it came out a two for me also. Yeah. We seem to be in close agreement. We're burning through this because we've done it before. Yeah. Characterization. Uh, I'll just knock the surprise out right away. I gave it a six. I enjoyed Kirk. I enjoy him so much as a character. It doesn't even matter to me how irrational and stupid he is. I just really love watching him up there, and it's probably because I love watching just Shatner. I probably love T.J. Hooker or whatever. Uh, you're not wrong. Like Kirk is kind of the only thing in this show. Yeah, it's just uh, ready for a fight to break out when when Harry from Dumb and Dumber jumps out to steal back his trike. Kirk is <laughs> like all he's like ready. He's like judo chops. Let's do it. I'm ready to fight, just like he is in every episode. <laughs> and he's crazy decisive. He has an opinion on every situation as soon as he walks into the room, even if it's wrong. He does, doesn't bother him, by the way, when he's wrong. Which no. I think they're trying to tell us makes him an excellent leader or something. Cause yeah, he's probably. So World War II decisive. Um, well, he needs that animal rapey side of him to be a good leader. That's right, we learned that. It's very important. 
It's important for him, at least. Um, so just every part of his performance, other than the pedophilia, I really, really enjoy. Um, yeah, there is a lot of that, though. It's very heavy. And I took it. I took the points away on execution and not on characterization, because that's just Kirk. He's no, no, just going to bang a chick. like. And it's right at the top of my characterization is, once again, Kirk seduces a woman into helping him. <laughs> like, uh, And uh, by the way, I say woman. Last time it was a robot. Yeah, that's correct. This time it was a girl. So it's a little girl. He's not that particular. Um, uh, but also, Yeoman Rand takes a big step back in this episode. She's she should be embarrassed for herself. She should. She did not acquit herself well. Uh, she's straight up talking about how she's always trying to get Kirk to look at her legs. She, she's like fucking breaking down. She's like, "Look at my legs! Look at my legs, Captain!" It's like, oh boy. I- I always used to try to get you to look at my legs. (laughs) Which, by the way, everyone on the ship wears that same miniskirt, so, like, what do you think she was doing? (laughs) That's why she has to try so hard, dude. It's like a... It's a legs gallery. Nothing but legs. Uh, yeah. And... By the way, then she says, look at my legs, but then she's, like, covering up the... The weird plague. Plague on her leg, you know. It's it's a very odd... It's an odd scene, and it's... Very uncomfortable. Not a great departure for this character. I don't know, she might be in another couple, but, like, we know she's gonna take off. Yeah, uh, I like I said, everything that was subtext between them is now text, and that's dumb. Yeah. Oh yeah, she lays it out there. Yeah. Um, Spock uh, shows. There's like a glimpse in his in his advice to the captain about treating uh, how to handle these children that we will see in the um, in the first movie with Viger. <laughs> That he basically tells the captain that these kids are animals. Yeah. And fuck them. That they need discipline. That's right. <laughs> they need a father figure. He's going to be their new dad. Hey, that is that is literally Spock's plan. <laughs> Will you come home with us and be our new dad? Gary. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Spock in this one's bizarre. He's hella afraid of those kids. It's so afraid. The look of fear on his face. When they first start, like, throwing rocks at him and saying nanny, nanny, nanny at him or whatever. Yeah, he's not having that. He fucking freaks out. Man, I forgot that there's, like, there's, like, a fire escape. This is a bad episode. It's not not good, dude. Um, Spock really encourages Kirk to to bed Miri, which is just, it's not okay. Let's say that he was encouraging him to lead her on. Uh, yeah, but I don't think he cares whether or not a dick is actually inserted. I legitimately think he doesn't care. He does not care at all. Not important. Um, and then McCoy, I guess, was in the episode. Yeah. I think. Anyway, I, I gave it a four. Ne- I didn't think that they did much. Neither of us has anything to say about McCoy because he, like you said, he's in most of the scenes and noth- we learn nothing about him. But while while I total this all up... Yeah. How great was Kirk throwing that kid around? <laughs> the little monkey kid. Yes. Would you call him Mr. Peepers? Mr. Peepers. <laughs> yeah. So they definitely chose some weird, ugly-looking kids. To they did. They got weird-looking kids in this one. They're like, well, they've been here for 300 years. They should choose some real fucking monster children. And they chose a guy that looks like a semi-adult Chucky to be yep. the ringleader. And that little monkey kid was fucking horrifying. And yeah, he goes for... He he took a course <laughs> in the Bill Shatner School of Acting. Where they probably told him, Okay, you're going to try to attack Mr. Shatner, and then but he's going he's gonna to wrestle with you a little bit, and it'll be good fun. And Shatner straight up picks the kid up and throws him onto the ground like it's fucking wrestling. 
Yeah, picks him up off a desk and throws him onto the ground. <laughs> There's no Just... CGI. This is no stuntman. It's Shatner and that kid. I mean, he if he had just given him the stone cold stunner, it would have <laughs> it still would have been in character somehow. That's right. Yeah, throws the kid on the ground and uh no one breaks. The scene just goes on. That kid's a real professional. Um I think kids used to be more professional just in general 50 yeah. years ago, you know? And 50 years before that, they were they were little bosses wearing their newsy caps and talking about how their old man took them up to Boston to see Babe Ruth play and stuff like that. That's right. Selling papes. Yep. Um, um, uh, also in that same scene, by the way, a little girl spits on Kirk and it's so great. <laughs> she violently spits in his face. She gives him a real fucking loogie. And also when he gets hit on the head by that wrench, he does some real Garrett Wang acting where he kind yep. of like tilts his head back and goes, Oh, that particular scene yeah. where he is lured in there and then has to fight the kids is probably the single enjoyable scene in this episode. Yeah. <clears throat> um, let's see. And that's all Shatner. I have um, uh, Spock and McCoy talking science, easily replaced by Shake and Meatwad from Aqua Teen Hunger Force talking about science. Neither of them sounds like they have any idea what they're talking about. McCoy mispronounces many of the words, like metabolic. He decides that is the appropriate reading of that. Uh, on the bridge, Spock shouts out readings about the planet on the bridge like he is the very worst computer. Just shouts out yes. readings to nobody in particular and everyone just sits there patiently. He's doing, and we'll see this in a few weeks when we get to the menagerie, mm. but uh, it's almost his performance in the cage where he literally screams. It's Pilot Spock. He brought yes. back Pilot Spock for another round. He, Pilot Spock showed up and paid us a visit. Uh, they say about the alternate Earth, one of them says it, maybe Kirk, seems impossible, but there it is. He's <laughs> just like, well, I don't need to say it, I guess. You've already said it and, for me. And that's all we get. Yep. That's all we're going to get there. Uh, uh, let's see. Kirk is much better at determining the plots of the episodes than I am. He just, when he's attacking Jeff Daniels, he's like, but he's got the mind of a child. And you're like, oh, I see what's happening. I think I know what this episode is. You got there quickly. Uh, Yeoman Rand, you mentioned, is back in this episode. Her hair is like a, a straight thatched wicker basket. Not exactly sure how long that takes in the makeup chair, but you can see very how very ornately her hair is thatched. Yeah. <clears throat> it does not seem like that. Could she be has real. a lot of time on the ship. Like She has to take Kirk an order to sign twice a day. That's right. And the rest of the time she just hangs out in his quarters putting on his foundation. Yeah, sometimes she takes a walk over to the Arboretum if Sulu's there or something. That's right. Not much to do. She gets molested by a plant. I mean, it's... There's not a lot going on for her. What we talked about in the whoopsie version of this is uh, every time the music starts up is when Kirk gets all pedophile with uh, with Miri. Yes. And uh, how much better this episode would be if she was the only one who could hear it, and when it's the, the camera's on her face, she can hear the music swelling in the background, and then when it cuts back to Kirk, there's just silence. That would have been much better. Yeah, it would have been, but um, I think so far in the original series, as far as filmmaking technique, we've seen Dutch ankles and uh, highlights on the eyes. A lot of that. A lot of that That's in this episode. basically all of the cinematography we've seen. Yeah. Oh, plus there was one loving, loving butt shot in Mud's Women. Yes, there definitely was. <laughs> Uh, Kirk calls Miri a pretty young woman, gives her the chat stare, uh, replete with eye lighting, 
and repeats, very pretty. Yep. And it's nasty. This is a girl who is approaching puberty. That's right. Not- She's not. She has not gone through puberty, or she would be dead. That's correct. And Marjan at that point said, "He's just being like a nice dad." <laughs> and nope. she didn't see. She hadn't seen the rest of the episode this run through yet, so she didn't see how long they really track Kirk being a perv. Yeah, uh, definitely not. But Marjan's whole opinion of this episode, her memory of the entire episode, and why she liked it so much, she remembered, was that this is the episode where McCoy makes a vaccine. That's important to her. It was, that was what this episode was to her. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, Kirk says to her, do you want to go someplace with me? Yep. Not okay. That's the... That's the Bone Zone or Pound Town. It's, not it's okay. one of the two, right? It's horrible. That's what she's expecting. And then he takes her to the place where all the kids are, and he points in the window at the kids. And so, like, he clearly sees them, but then they all go hide. And it's like, yeah. oh, too late, dog. He, like, he, he already <laughs> see, he pointed right at you. He's coming. You busted. He knows you're there. Yeah. Uh, that, that ugly lieutenant is back on the bridge, the horrible guy from a few episodes ago. Yes, he is not nice to look at. What's his name again? He had a name before. I did not write it down. Something Irish, probably. Yeah, I know it is. It's something Irish. Uh, I mean, he's not the Irish guy who sings I'll Take You Home Again, Kathleen, in <laughs> The Naked Time. No, he's not. Uh, that hideous lieutenant could obviously have been made in uh, the web series Monster Factory. No, that's right. That's going to be our official recommendation this week. Yes. For by the way, we should do that at the beginning so people don't waste their time listening to this show. That's right. Everybody, check out Monster Factory. It's uh, about video games and making horrible-looking characters and their adventures. And that guy has a face that would belong in that. Um, Kirk became like a total greasy face after two days on that planet. Just a grease all over his face. Which I guess is what yeah. happens when you can't sleep Dude for a needs days. to shower regularly. That's fucking horrifying. Um, boy. Uh, Spock, very dramatically presenting a beaker full of death. <laughs> it might be a beaker full of death. <laughs> they need to test. They need to test what's in the beaker with the enterprise computers. Cause it might be a beaker full of death, which see me. If, I think that means you're not very good at science. If what yeah. you think you've made that might be the thing that cures everyone could also be a beaker full of death. Uh, keep saying that she's becoming a young woman. That made me really unhappy. I just started typing things like, Oh boy. Into the computer. Did the computer at any point say, I know, man. I know. <laughs> no, but Marjan eventually did catch on that he was not being a nice dad. So yeah. that was good. Kirk shouts at the kids, No, blah, blah, blah. That was great. When they were That's safe. that same great scene. <laughs> yes. Uh, when Kirk picked up the little weird redhead, Marjan asked if he had picked up a Howard. I believe meaning <laughs> one of Ron Howard's kin. I'm telling you, I didn't look it up. It is possible, like, we are eventually going to see Clint Howard. That's right. We know he's Oh, wait, not, not eventually. I think he's in two episodes. Yeah, he is definitely in the show. So it is possible this little redhead might also be one of the Howard clan. Yes. Uh, we talked or about like a little Howard cousin or something. Right. We talked about the monkey-looking kid getting the shat treatment. Oh, and then in the end, Rand telling Kirk, she really loved you, you know. And Kirk just smiles and looks at her and goes, Yes. Yes. That's all. He knows. Yeah. It's not a mystery to him. He doesn't care, but he knows. He understands it. That's correct. So that's what I had. I had a lot of, a lot of takeaways, because as always, TOS is much more entertaining. 
It's just everything's crazier. Yes. Um, I have best actor, and that is uh, Beaker Full of Death, Spock. Yeah, uh, because that is such an insane line, and he almost gets it. He almost gets there with it. It's almost a credible way to say that line. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's... That's as bad a line as, uh, you know, any of the... Any of the weird, bad TNG lines, like, uh... Hit? I'm sorry, yeah, anything... <laughs> If I may, sir, one of the things about them in the briefing studies was their respect <laughs> for patience. Okay, well, A Beaker Full of Death is definitely hella more melodramatic and less awkward. Yeah. Like, the writing on TNG right now is like, um, you're watching someone with really bad footwork trying to dance. And you're just like, oh, definitely. oh boy, what is happening? Why are they doing it like that? That's not how you dance. That's what TNG writing is. What... TOS writing is is like somebody doing the flamenco at a school dance. <laughs> and you're going, "What are, why are they doing that? Why is it so dramatic?" Like you can just stand 2 feet from each other and like kind of awkwardly hold each other. It's fine. That's I, to me what the analogy is. I enjoy this this metaphor. <laughs> okay. Um worst actor? Look at my legs rand. Yeah. It's just not it just doesn't make any sense, and it's not well-delivered. And it was very hard to watch. Why does she debase herself like that? This show is not for women. Oh, it... They, we're, again, it's another episode that ain't, ain't so great for women. Yeah. Uh, did we give our scores on all these? Yeah, we did. Uh, sure so we when you total it all up, I gave this episode only 12 points. Uh, Boy, that's You low. gave it all of 16. All right. Um, so that's 28, which is the same as that Enterprise episode, by the way. Uh, it's not good. Like, enough, just objectively, it's a bad episode. It's, it's not great. Subjectively, really not great. I thought it was hilarious to watch. Um, interestingly, Ben, who usually scores quite a bit higher than us, gave this episode four points. Total. Total. Now, most of that is the negative one he gave it in execution, saying that he hates it and he double hates it. <laughs> uh, basically, his story with this episode is that he feels betrayed because he used to like this episode as a kid. So, and he thought it was a good episode. Sounds like that's not their fault. He should give himself a negative one. And now he's now he's watching it, um, you know, through the eyes of an adult, and he realizes it ain't it ain't it ain't great. It's, this ain't so great. It's not good, and it's kind of aggressively immoral. I mean, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, so the winner having some summed it all up, uh, the winner of the week is, uh, the battle from the next generation. TNG man already running away with it. How's it possible? Starting to, <laughs> and that's its fourth win. Wow. So, eight. uh, through eight weeks, it is four for TNG, two for the original series and one each for Voyager and Enterprise. I think this was the rare time where I did not score them the best on characterization. I scored TOS uh, no. better because I enjoyed Kirk so much. Yeah, because Normally, you loved Kirk, and not nothing, none of the characterization in the battle is really anything. Yeah, I mean, Kazago's not bad. Yeah, but he's never going to come back. He doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, we don't usually score the alien of the week. I am, I find it hard to score anybody, but uh, but the main bridge crew. <clears throat> um, but they did. You did score them highest in every other metric. Oh yeah, this week. Uh, this week. Yeah. Uh, and I scored them highest in the first two metrics, and uh, I did score Voyager a little higher in world building. Okay. All right. Gold TNG. If you want to play along for week nine, 
Yes. Which I assume Ben will, because he sent us one for week seven, even after we did week seven. That's right. He's still playing. You should watch uh, Dagger of the Mind. I I seem to recall that one is going to be I remember that one, too. It's got, like, a torture chair. That could be some fun. It could be good. Uh, Hide and Q. Vicious Animal Things. Penalty Box. A lot of good stuff. Cannot. Hanging around in this one, even though it's a Q episode. Cannot tell you how much I'm looking forward to that. That is going to be that's going to be a lot of good material. Uh, move along home. Oh boy, the board game episode of DS Nine. These are uh, maybe this is maybe next week will be fun. Um, Prime Factors. Don't know what that is as, as from Voyager. Usual, no, yeah, no clue. And Fortunate Son from Enterprise, where I assume they just listen to that song over and over again. That would make it the best episode of Enterprise so far. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, those are the episodes to watch, uh, for next time. It'll probably be in a couple of weeks. Um, if you want to tweet at us, we'll do a mailbag probably next week. That's at brotherdate. Um, we're at brotherdate.com. Like, subscribe, whatever. Yeah, last week we threw up some bonus material. If anybody wants to (laughs) get that in their feed. If you're not subscribed, subscribe so you'll get all that cool stuff. Otherwise, Um, you can go to the website, brotherdate.com, whatever. Yep. Yeah, and uh, watch Monster Factory. That's our official recommendation. Yes, absolutely. All right, everybody. We we did a whoopsie, but we we made it mostly right. See you. Bye. See you later. Like what? What is that? What happened? Ma- the Battle of Maxia. Was I there? What? I don't think I was there. You must be talking about a different captain. It's like, what's this? What's this old ship coming up? What <laughs> Battle of Maxia? Huh? They, he... Please subscribe.